0: Hey guys, welcome to the Beholding Soul podcast. Uh, this week I have a guest that I've been really, really looking forward to for a very, very long time. Uh, his name is uh, Jason Koviak Everybody that listens to this podcast probably listens to his podcast. I consider Jason to be the OG of, uh, of outdoor uh, hunting related podcast definitely the og of traditional uh traditional hunting uh traditional archery that kind of thing he is uh someone that you know that i've never actually met in person but we talk all the time i consider him a friend it's one of those weird things in today's day and age where you can kind of make friendships uh long distance whether it be over facebook or you know instagram or whatever but um he is I, i tell him this in this uh Uh, in this podcast that he's responsible for this podcast and me doing a lot of other things because when I first started listening to him he was probably one of the first two podcasts I've ever listened to ever years and years ago and uh, at the time I remember thinking man you know that's kind of cool I don't think I could ever do something like that and then you know slowly but surely you know I I, I started talking to him about you know various other things and uh, you know we started just you know talking back and forth and becoming you know facebook friends and 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 uh you know whatever and he has you know i i don't think there's a guy out there that is more uh open with his time free with his time uh, than than anybody else and his knowledge and his experience than anybody else i've ever met uh he's helped me tremendously with a, a lot of the endeavors that i've gone down um for, for the things that I'm trying to do with bow hunting Soul. That includes starting a YouTube channel. I uh, didn't know how to do a lot of that stuff. I, I asked him a thousand questions. How do you do this? How do you do that? How do I promote this? How do I structure this? Um, I've asked him uh, about... Uh, you know, other things we're trying to do uh, on Amazon. If you follow, if you follow Jason at, on, at all, you know that you know he's he's uh, he's talked about you know some e-commerce stuff and selling things on Amazon. Well, I kind of got interested in, in doing that kind of thing about the same time, and uh, he had a maybe about an eight or ten month like head start than me uh, and I've asked him a bunch of questions about that he's totally open with with in you know, anything you want to you, know, you want to ask him the guy the guy's amazing and same with the podcast you know I remember way back when uh, he was one of the one of the two podcasts I think out there at least in the traditional realm where um, he was asking you know he was telling people hey you know if you have something to share if you have something to say go ahead and start a podcast you know he was all uh, jazzed when um, um, James orr started uh, TradQuest you know and uh, he was directly responsible for, for for that you know interest and, and, and spark and and uh, encouraging uh, James to start that, that that podcast it's also a great podcast so um, anyway so a, a big big shout out to Jason uh, I do thank him on this one but uh, I, I think the traditional community owns or owes uh, Jason a, a big thank you for all the things that he does he's got an incredible YouTube channel he is uh, again t- totally open and uh, giving with his time and his experience um, you know I can text him at all hours of the night because the guy just never stops working I I, I don't think I would have any kind of reservations about you know uh, texting him at like midnight or one o'clock because he's probably up making a video or, or, or doing something so anyway this video uh, this uh, podcast is uh, we, we kind of go all over the place with this we kind of go into the this whole coronavirus uh, business uh, recorded this and um, this intro right now is a, on a Saturday night, but we recorded this uh, earlier earlier in the week. So every day it's gotten crazier and crazier even since then. But um, he's uh, been putting out some some videos lately about you know sensible I don't want to say prepping but sensible ways to have some uh, you know some some food some store uh, so some uh, food storage, some water storage, some you know uh, uh, power that kind of stuff. Now, <clears throat> Nothing doomsday prepperish, but simple, simple things that uh, you can do. So definitely go check out those on the Traditional Bow Hunting Wilderness Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, he's putting out some great videos as always. Uh, we talk about a bunch of stuff in this one in the beginning, and then we kind of go all over. We talk about shooting styles we talk about bows we talk about um uh you know ways to hunt and, and out-of-state trips and, and just about everything under the sun it's about two hours long um and you know honestly i mean i could talk to the guy for hours and hours because he's so easy to talk to he's so knowledgeable this is a guy that actually walks the walk so anyway i'm gonna uh, quit blathering on here uh, a quick word about this whole coronavirus too I did put out a, uh, a, a kind of a midweek episode, uh, saying, uh, "Don't be a pand asshole. You know, a pandemic asshole. It's, um, it, it's it's gonna get a little crazier before it gets better. I think, at least, um, you know, with with, with 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 panic rushes, you know, going in grocery stores and things like that. Just be a nice person. All right, you don't." You need less than you think you need, because I think this isn't going to be like protracted for like in the next six, eight months. This might go on for like you know, honestly, it might go on for the next several weeks to a month or so, um, maybe two. But I mean, you're you're not going to be starved out of your house. You're not going to have to wipe you know your butt with a leaf or anything like that. I mean, just 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 make stuff last. You know, it, it, this is this is just really underscores you know, how much, uh, you know, how many like first world problems we really have. Um, we used to, you know, we, a lot of people like to j- joke or, or say the phrase, you know, first world problems, you know, when you don't get your right, you know, the the barista doesn't, you know, make your latte right in the morning kind of thing. Well, this, this kind of flu, pandemic, whatever thing, whatever you think about it, I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, you know, the silver lining to all this is it's really kind of, Bringing, I think, Americans together, you know, even, even with all the craziness and even with all the run on, you know, the stores and on, on the food and the shelves and bread and toilet paper and what meat and all that stuff. Um, I think this, uh, things like this, you know, the silver lining to all this is it, it brings people together and it really makes you realize like, huh, man, I have a really goddamn good life. And uh, when certain things get taken away, you, then you realize you were taking those things for granted. So anyway, hope you guys are going through this, this craziness, uh, you know, healthy. Um, hope you're not, you know, hope you do have enough, you know, food and water and toilet paper and all that stuff. Uh, it's not as bad as you think it is uh, out there. And you just have to, uh, you have, it's all you have to do. Is be kind, be on the good side of humanity versus the the shitty side of humanity. Because believe me, all it takes is you know you and then your neighbor and then someone else and then someone else and another stranger to just be on the good side of humanity. And guess what? A lot of you know a lot of these problems um, uh, go away. And uh, you know we, we kind of deal with it together. So anyway, I'm blathering on. Um, let's just get right into the episode here, Jason Sam Koviak Traditional Bowhunting Wilderness Podcast, and thanks for listening. You? You're not through your uh, app or whatever, right? Or, or are, you, are you through your Skype app?
1: I'm through the Skype app on my cell phone. Well, sound loud and clear. Yeah, so it seems to be working. It's good. Yeah, I've never used it before, so I don't have any idea how it works on this setup.
0: Yeah, this has kind of become a staple here. Every, every time I call somebody, the first couple minutes of my podcaster i was talking about if we're connected and how we're connected and discovering wonderful new things about the internet and
1: <laughs> <Right. laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I are you using that Zoom H2 or H4n?
0: No, I'm not. I'm actually uh, I'm using the Zoom was it zoom.us or something like that. Um and that's just uh that could record to your computer or on the cloud. I just do it through my computer. I just used that the uh, last week actually.
1: Oh, okay. What I did uh, now the one I did with Travis Styles, I didn't realize that I had it. Uh, I, I I had it still in stereo mode, so it's kind of mm-hmm. some people were pretty mad because it was going in. You know, if they listen with headphones, I was in one ear and Travis was in the other ear.
0: Um, but oh.
1: I uh, I got that fixed. Like i public. Like later tonight when we're done, I'm going to release the one with Warren Bolek I did, and uh, that one I was able to fix that in uh, in Audacity. It turned out sweet. But what I did is I just got my Zoom H4n. And I plugged my my mic into one channel, and then I plugged the cell phone via a uh, XLR cable into the other channel. And then uh, it's, you know, I just put headphones on it. It looks really pretty sweet, pretty simple. I can even do them on the road.
0: Yeah, you got like a new setup going. It sounded fine to me, but I only listened to you on, on, on one earbud, and it came in fine when you were doing that, that, that Travis episode, Styles episode. So it sounded fine to me, oh, that, but, you know.
1: Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, some people said that it was you know when they listened to him with headphones, it was one in one ear, and me, you know, me in one ear and Travis in the other one. Oh, so no. I was able to fix that and, and mash them together. So yeah, I'm excited to publish that one tonight. Uh, yeah, how it goes? Yep. Yeah. So what do you, <laughs> what do you do?
0: Yeah, everything's good. We're uh, we're corona free here so far. So. <laughs>
1: Well, they're starting to load it up here. It's starting to get here. Kids are all out of school. Um, You know, colleges are shutting down. I just heard New York and uh, Ohio are closing as of nine o'clock tonight. They're closing every bar and restaurant in the whole state.
0: They are. Uh, I know.
1: Yeah, this is getting pretty crazy and I'm getting a little nervous because I got weddings, you know, coming up here. I'm pretty good. I got three weddings in April and then, uh, but May is when I start hammering, you know, every single weekend, some are mm-hmm. triples. And if I lose a weekend in May, I'm devastated. You know, I can't, I can't tolerate that. You know, that will be out. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I could be out $10,000, you know, it's like, yeah, I can't do this. And so I'm hoping to get this stuff fixed.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, our, uh, our, our school district just canceled, uh, uh, I mean, you know, my daughter, she's, you know, she's in first grade. Um, they just, you know, canceled, well, they were going to go on spring break the following week, but they, they canceled like starting tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how long that's going to, that's going to last. I mean, you, you see rumors, you know, I was on, um, you know, the Facebook or whatever, but you know, you see all these rumors of like, oh, well, you know, some, some people are saying if they shut down, they're going to shut down for the rest of the school year, you know, not do the, the last two months. And it's like, geez, I think the knock-on effect of this, um, this thing is is beyond just, you know, how much toilet paper you have in your house. Um, it's going to it's going to I don't know what's what the financial like devastation is going to be from this. I mean, it's it's pretty big, you know.
1: Yeah, this is this is not a not a joke anymore. And I, I don't know how serious i want to take it or anything like that but like i said now it's starting to affect me on the home front i'm getting a little nervous on it you know we're leaving in a couple days for spring break for my daughter's spring break and we're gonna go to we rented a cabin in tennessee it's like what are we gonna do we're gonna get there and every restaurant's gonna be closed i'm like come on hopefully this just doesn't you know i i don't know what to think yet you know
0: yeah i I don't either um yeah I, i don't know it's uh you know, we're not hoarding anything. You know, we, we have, we have. You know, it's kind of what I want to get into. We're recording, by the way, if, you, if, if just in case you know. But um, okay. So, um, you know, it, it was it was one of those deals where I wanted to get you on because I wanted to talk to you. Like, since basically, like, you're responsible for this podcast. You know that, right? Whether you know it or not.
1: No, so, but that's good. Good job. <laughs> I like. It. I I
0: I remember um, way way back. Well, it's been, I don't know how many years now, five, six years or whatever. Um, when I first started getting into listening to podcasts, uh, it was mediator was like the very first podcast that I listened to with anything. And I think you might've been like number two or number three. I don't even know. Maybe like Wired to Hunt was in there or something like that. And I think you were like number two or number three in there. And I remember the very first episode I, I listened to yours and I was tiling a bathroom because we were getting ready to sell our old townhouse. And it was, uh, uh, I think you titled it, Don't Believe the Hype. You know, where you went through, uh, um, you know, all, all the hype in the, um, you know, magazines and, you know, TV and, and all the stuff. You don't need all this extra crap. You don't need all this expensive stuff. You don't need blah, 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 blah to just go hunt. It was one of those, like, you know, you can go hunting, you know, like, like, like your grand, grandfathers and, you know, whatever you used to do kind of thing. So, um, and after that, I'm like, man, that's kind of cool. This guy's got a podcast, you know? It's, it's he's talking about stuff that interests me. I wasn't even like like hardcore into traditional uh, traditional archery back then, you know. But you came at it from the point of, you know, obviously, it's traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast. By the way, if people haven't figured it out, this is Jason Sam Koviak we're talking to. Um, and if you don't know who he is, and you know, crawl off from under the rock you know from that you're living in but anyway so that that was uh that was like the probably one of the very first podcasts i listened to and i thought that'd be kind of cool and then for a long time i was like man i I don't think i could do something like that it seems kind of complicated blah 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 and then now here we are i'm talking to you you know and i think you along the way you know you've you've really like kind of i i've leaned on you a lot for a lot of things as far you know podcast goes youtube goes you know all the other stuff you know i'm trying to do with with, with amazon and stuff like that you know so you help me a lot so i want to i want to thank you for you know for for all the help you've given in the past few years we've never actually met in person but i consider you your friend you know
1: yeah and we talk quite a bit and it's definitely been nice and it's neat to see uh how you progress with everything i mean you definitely go you know i mean straight up you know, balls out as far as I don't know if a lot of people know what that term really is, but uh you know, it's in the steam engine world and it's I use it loud. all I'll use it all the time, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, but uh, and you do. And, and like I said, you you know, you hit everything you do full on with everything you got. And it shows I mean, you're you know, the podcast is super successful and going very well for you. And it got a lot of respect. Your YouTube channel is growing and growing all the time. You're rocking it on some of the stuff you're doing with Amazon. Um, you got big plans and motivation. And, and you're one of those people that when you say you're going to do something, you straight up get off your rear end and do it. And it's it's impressive, man. I, I, I got a lot of respect for what you do and how you do it.
0: Well I I try I appreciate that you know there's there's a lot of failure in there trust me you know and you and I talk about that so you know offline kind of stuff for you know whatever but um you know uh, so anyway so you were one of like the the guys that I've been you know wanted to get on this uh, on the show for I don't know since pretty much like the beginning right and I'm glad you're finally on. And I, and I got to thinking about like five minutes ago, because you and I talk all the time. I'm like, shit, I don't have like a, not that I have like a big like, um, like, like program or whatever that, that or, 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 um, uh, itinerary, you know, that I kind of run through with, with different guests. We just kind of like free flow. But then I thought, you know what? You like to talk. I like to talk. So I think we can just kind of just, you know, kind of, kind of free flow this thing and, and, and be fine. But, you know, we started talking about the Corona, the Corona deal. And, i don 't want to sit there and like hype all this stuff, but I thought it would be a really good good kind of segue. We can talk about a couple of things, but one of them is since we 're talking about it is you did uh you, you've done several podcasts on this, but you did it a, a while ago about just simple and I hate to call it prepping, and i don't think you call it prepping either it 's just like being prepared for certain for certain things you know what what are your what are your thoughts on on this craziness with 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 all the hoarding and and uh you know you know, toilet paper shortages and, and and things like that. I mean, how how are how is what is your perspective on it?
1: Um, it's a good question, and, and you're right. And like I said, and like you said, when you call it prepping, everybody automatically, um, you know, they they you know f- you know they automatically expect me to pull out my tinfoil hat and you know be where you know jump into my uh, my Faraday cage and you know shut right. the world off. You know, um, yeah. but uh, but we always we we try to live. Um, prepared, but not prepared for emergencies per se, even though that's a side benefit to it. But um, we don't make a lot of money. So we we try to be really smart with every penny we get. And that includes how we shop for things. So um, we believe in having two pantries. One is our one in our kitchen. It's a walk-in pantry. It's pretty, not, well, we can't really walk in, but size of an average closet, you know, normal pantry. And then we took in our spare bedroom and we converted that closet into a pantry as well too, with racks in there and stuff. And so we follow a process called store what you eat, eat what you store. And so we don't actually, like, we don't have like pinto beans and 55 gallon drums of food and all this kind of craft that we'll never touch. What mm-hmm. we do instead is, you know, at any given time, like for example, simple things like macaroni and cheese, craft macaroni and cheese, we eat it once a week, maybe, um, yeah. you know, kind of thing, it's quick and easy, but we have it, no, at any given time, we have 25 boxes of it here uh, because. We buy it when there's a sale, and it doesn't matter what store it is. But if we find this stuff on a super good sale, we'll go and buy five or six boxes, and then we put them in the back, and we rotate this food. It goes from the back pantry to the front pantry. From yeah. the front pantry, we eat it, and then we replace it the back one. And uh, so we do that with all kinds of stuff, including toilet paper, including toothpaste. You know, at any given time, I got mm-hmm. five sticks of deodorant here. Why? Because why not? Do I buy right. them? when I find a sale. Um, we take advantage of it. So that, that quote unquote um, food storage kind of thing like that and staple items um, allows us to only buy what we need when it's on sale, Uh, other than fridge food. I mean, we got to buy, you know, we constantly got to buy fruit. We constantly Mm got to buy, you know, milk, you know, stuff like that. But all the other things, anything we can stock up on, we do it. So we save a tremendous amount of money when we buy it on sale. Um, And then so we already have that covered. I'm not going to lie. As soon as this coronavirus thing hit and I knew what it could be, I automatically went out, filled all eight of my gas cans are filled. I ate five gallon cans. They're full and they're in the garage and they're ready. If I need them, we have two generators, not because we needed to. Well, you know, we got one for the camper and I got one for my bow fishing boat, but they'll both do exactly what I need to do if I mm-hmm. need them. You know, so we, we, we live this kind of self-prepared lifestyle um as it is anyway you know obviously i got a ton of guns we got a ton of ammo and we got a ton of stuff that we need you know i mean not yeah. because we need it but because when i buy ammo with how much we shoot i buy it by thousand round or even five thousand rounds at a time uh because again i save so much money by doing that so right. we we kind of you know, so it's not like it's something we try to do it's just who we are in general because it saves us a fortune
0: yeah, so you're basically buying food that you're gonna. It's like, like you said, you, it's not necessarily stuff that most um, when when people think of preppers, right? They think of like, okay, how many like five pound or ten pounds? I don't know how what they come in, like sacks of flour and you know how many sacks of rice and things like that. It's just okay. Well, we eat this stuff all the time, and if it's if it's like the, the non-perishable variety, like the pastas and the you know mac and cheeses and then you know even if it's canned, or whatever, you're just you just have more of it, you know what I mean? Do do you tend to have um, uh, a certain number of days or weeks in mind that that you you know like like when is enough? Like you look at your pantry and you've got you know you've got x many deep boxes of mac and cheese and then like at what point you're like you know I think we're good.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's, everything's kind of got a role for that stuff. So, I mean, at right. any given time, it's that we can fit about 25 boxes of macaroni and cheese between the, you know, between the five or eight in the front pantry that we put in their spot where they go. And, uh, you know, then the rest are in the back one and about 25 boxes, same with like, you know, green beans or, you know, canned beans and canned corn and canned, uh, soups. And then, uh, um, uh, like baked beans and stuff like that kind of stuff so it's all stuff that we're using on a regular basis and if it'll keep um we have enough of it if it's not and it's perishable then then we kind of make it right. more week by week um but that plus the meat we have in the two freezers and all that stuff i mean like you you know we hunt you know i mean there's, mm-hmm. at any given time we have quite a bit of, of wild game you know so um and so given that i would say that we probably have um, I don't know, I would say probably a solid, a solid month if we needed it of food. And then on top of that, yeah. I also have a lot of guns and I have a lot of fishing poles and I have a lot of land around me here where if I need more food, I'll go get it, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, we're not quite to the month period. Yeah. You know, but I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of the same deal. We've got plenty of meat, you know, and, and it's one of those, uh, you know how, how much how, how much of the extra stuff do you want to stock? You know, and then my wife now uh, she's uh, she works at Target, right? She uh, she works uh, like like uh, unloading the trucks basically in the morning. Like she works like super early, so so she's seeing all this stuff um, you know come in in the short, and then of course they're on the floor, you know, putting all the stuff on the shelves and whatnot. So um you know it hasn't gotten like super crazy here you know we're in a pretty like suburban you know like suburbia environment you know it's nothing uh there's not millions of people around or whatever but um she's you know we're certainly seeing the you know the toilet paper goes out and it's like it's gone in a couple hours or like the the wipes the baby wipes that kind of thing And and i'm and i'm wondering you know what how much of this is you know, media caused, you know, cause they like to blame the media on a lot of things, all the negativity that they spew. Cause that's, that's news, you know? Um, and how much of it is actually, you know, genuinely people like, you know, I, I guess it's like a snowball effect, you know? And then if all of a sudden, if you hear, you know, some other people like buying everything, you know, on the shelves and you're like, well, shit, I didn't want to be one of those assholes, but I got to be one of those assholes now, because if I'm not, you know, then, then it's, then I don't get what I need when I normally would buy it. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah. That's a t- and panic uh, yeah, that's a... yeah, the go. panic buy is, is contagious with that, too. You know, me and my wife, we went in there out of Walmart <clears throat> here in town the other day, something a couple days ago, and she saw people, you know, running around, stockpiling their carts, grabbing up cases and cases of what You could see in their carts that they were panic buying a bunch of stuff and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of. At us a little bit too you know we were like, kind of like oh maybe we want to grab more of this holy cow they're taking all that maybe we should get And we had to stop ourselves and go you know what we we don't need that and we're never going to eat that and we're never going to use it and then it's going to go bad i'm like you, you know we're like we're in good shape we have five water purification you know water pumps and purification methods here you know we're on our right. own well we have power we have food you know like we gotta we gotta slow our roll don't get caught up in that because it is it is contagious you know yeah. um but i'm uh, not Fly. We came home, and the first thing I did do is I looked at what we had. I looked at what we need. The um, well, only thing we had to buy is I. Uh, I did buy another four uh, four hundred capsule bottles of uh of um, uh amoxicillin and penicillin from so we have we like having that stuff on hand again in case of emergencies but uh um we buy the you know the fish antibiotics we've been using them for right. 15 years they're incredible yep. And, yep. Uh, so i did just I, I spent 100 bucks and like i said bought uh, bought a you know 300 <laughs> more of the amoxicillin and 100 more of the penicillin so we have those and they just showed up uh today as a matter of fact or yes or no Uh, They showed up on Friday. So we got those here now, too. So that was the only thing we were really missing. You know, other than that, we got we got gear. We got everything we need. I'm not really worried about too much anything. And that's, you know, and that doesn't change day to day. That's kind of like I said, how we live our life is is you should be prepared for any of this stuff. But it's not not prepper prepared. It's just living well and buying smart prepared, you know. Mm -hmm,
0: Mm hmm. It's funny when uh, a lot of people will make fun of like let's just call them preppers, okay? But I'm gonna lump all of us, you, me, and like genuine like you know face mask, uh, you know tinfoil, you know preppers all together because that's what that's what they do. And it's like, well, why do you need that? I could just go get it at the store. And so many people don't understand. I mean, now they're they're starting to get it. Like they don't understand like how, um, you know, I I, I can't I can't remember what the um, uh, logistic, uh, term is, you know, for, but for how many, uh, like like the the supply chain term that they use, you know, in the grocery business or whatever. But I mean, most grocery stores only have like what, like three days worth of, you know, if if no trucks came in, no deliveries came in, they probably have like what the average is like like three days that people say of, of food in there and then it's gone. You know, they just they get so used to being able to just pop down to the Walmart or pop down to Publix or pop down to Target or whatever and just get whatever they want. And then they're like, well, why do you need to store this or why do you need, you know, bottle of water? Why do you need blah, blah, blah? And it's like, well, forget this coronavirus deal, which looks like it's going to be like a little bit of a longer term thing. I hope it's not, you know. Oh, but uh, I mean, how many times in the past uh, decade, even, especially on the East Coast, where like New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut, whatever, they get uh, blackouts. They'll get a blackout for a week, you know, snowstorms, blizzards, uh, whatever. People are, you know, have to like sit inside their homes without, you know, power and wa- water and, and, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, it, it, it doesn't have to be <clears throat> like, you know, a red dawn, you know, nuclear. Uh, you know apocalypse kind of situation you know the aliens don't have to be invading for you to to do this it's like every i mean natural events like a blizzard coming through a hurricane coming through you know that commonly come through you know it happens every year and and you know people are shut down and then you know they don't have more than like you know they've got they've got a couple six packs of beer in the fridge and some pizza and then like well shit now i got to sit in my house for you know a week week and a half without you know uh, electricity or being able to get out or plowed roads or whatever it this the stuff you just need to be prepared for in general you know
1: i would agree completely down yeah. south or along the coast, you have the hurricanes you got blizzards you got tornadoes in the central part you got all kinds of issues that do affect people on a regular basis and uh, those people know better and they're smart i mean like i said you mm-hmm. go through a hurricane you realize that uh, you don't have a generator and you're going to go to a store where you could have bought a generator that was 400 bucks and you're gonna pay 1500 for it you know um because of that you know i mean this stuff is, is is crazy or or what cracks me up the most is somebody who's got a generator and then they got five gallons of gas so you know for an eight thousand watt generator so they're all excited right. it's like yeah you realize that's that's like three hours you that's, know? yeah that's uh, like
0: that, one night on a honda yeah i mean yeah it's it's yeah, yeah.
1: um so there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of tricks too. like I've told about probably 25 people in the last week. It's like, look, get on Amazon, go buy yourself. And I've said this in all of my my podcasts that relate to home self-sufficiency. I've said it in there to a dozen times, but go on Amazon, order yourself a uh, an 800 watt inverter, um, you know, inverter that goes from D.C. to A.C., um, and you know, for your, in your car, they're like 40 bucks. We got a couple of them. We got an 800 watt, a thousand watt and 600 watt one. Um, but this way, if the power goes out and you don't want to run a generator, your car is an awesome generator. All you got to do is just pop the hood, connect this thing to your, uh, to your, your battery on there, start your car. You let your car run for, uh, for an hour and then turn it off for an hour let it run for an hour, turn it off for an hour. But you got a thousand Watts or 800 Watts. It will run your fridges so you can run them. You don't have to run. Them all the time, but if you mm-hmm. put sleep on top of your freezers um, and on top of your refrigerator to insulate them, or camping pads or whatever gear you got like that, and or blankets, quilts, anything, you know, right? Yep. Yeah. And then you, uh, you run it for an hour and then you can leave it off for four or five hours and then Mm -hmm. run it again, this kind of stuff. And that little inverter, um, as long as your tank's full in your car, you know, it's gold. And and like I said, they're nice and quiet. Nobody even, you know, they're not threat deterrents or, you know, or a theft deterrent, you know, somebody's Mm -hmm. not going to take, you know, Um, and like I said, it costs you 30 bucks and you don't even have to have a whole house generator or anything like that. This will do whatever you need, you know. Yeah, that's a
0: good idea I remember you saying that one time And I'd completely forgotten about that You know, so then what do you do? You, you, uh, you charge it up, let's say, outside Or in a garage or whatever And then, uh, what, is it like a big battery pack? Or, or what is it? How do you get the power inside? What do you do? No,
1: nope. your car is the power So what you do is So like what I do uh, We live in a woods So, I mean, my driveway's a little farther from my house But since I live in the woods I can drive my, my car or truck right around the backyard And pull it right up to my back sliding door facing at it I mm-hmm. pop the hood this thing to my battery and then i can run i can run two extension cords off of it and run splitters off those extension cords um and so i mean typically even here what like the power goes out here four or five times a year usually they're pretty good here and it only goes out for literally about you know it's usually only a few hours to maybe overnight mm-hmm. and uh, when we lose power here we don't even crack out the generators all i do is pull my uh, little jeep renegade right here in the backyard hook that that 800 watt inverter right on my battery but the car run for an hour hour and a half and then i uh you know i i run it we usually run a tv and uh, because we don't got to worry about the fridges and stuff you know we'll throw some blankets and uh Mm -hmm. sleeping bags on top of it to insulate it but other than that we just plug that inverter in, and we run it you know we keep going we got a light connected to it and uh, usually the tv and all that stuff and i'll have my computer battery set up plugged into there so i can keep working and like i said that thing works like a champ we'll leave the car run for an hour i'll turn it off and then uh, i'll go out there and check it about an hour later and see if that battery started to get lost Start it back up let the alternator charge the battery again for an hour
0: right right okay so so you're just basically running an extension cord from your car uh, in, exactly. inside it's not okay okay i wasn't sure if i had like a battery pack or whatever that you were charging with the car and then using that you know uh stored stored energy to you know go, you know, inside the house. Or something like okay. I get it. I get you. I get you. Yeah. That, that, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty good idea. What, um, so, so, so what else, what are the kind of tips and tricks you you got out there? Cause you, you live, I mean, you, you live pretty remote, you know, and you gotta be, you're not that remote, I guess, but I mean, you know, you, you gotta be pretty self-sufficient
1: there. So what, what other tips you got? Well, heat, there's basically three things that you're going to have to have. You're going to want to have. You're going to want to have power of some sort. It's going to be good. You're going to want to have to have heat, and you're going to need to have water. So those are the ones you got to focus on. The rest of it, you can come about. Um, so heat, a lot of places today, like my house included, when we, you know, I mean, we built our house 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I was, you know, I was 28 years old and, and not that into this kind of stuff. And I, I didn't think to put in a wood stove. I don't have a fireplace um, that, you know, I got electric fireplace, you know, which mm-hmm. is kind of pointless. but I right. don't have anything like that as a safety factor. Um, so we make sure we have uh heater options. So I have four of the Mr. Buddy heaters and I mm-hmm. have uh, nine. Twenty-pound propane tanks that are always full, including the one on our barbecue. So I have nine mm-hmm. of those tanks that keep us, you know, I mean, I got a solid, um, I, I got a solid three months worth of heat right there. Plus, I have my salamander heater that runs on kerosene um, that I can use, and I have my wood stove for my wall tent. And and I actually have—I've never installed it, but I actually have. A, um, you know, a board cut and a setup where I can pipe it right, you know, take the screen out of a window, open a window and, and shoot that pipe right outside of the, you know, right the chimney pipe right through a window if okay. I needed to. So, but you got to have ways to be able to have heat. For most houses, if you don't have a wood-burning stove or a wood-burning fireplace, Mr. And buddy Heaters, and, and I would have a minimum of three of the propane tank 20-pound propane tanks, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to be pretty set because you can isolate yourselves in a room. You know, with blankets, again, through the doorways for insulation and just heat yourself in one room in um, there. And Aaron, you guys can be completely fine for a very long time. But heat is an important one, you know. Um, yeah, I'm looking at one? my
0: Mr. B- I'm looking at my Mr. Buddy heater right now. It's like the single bottle kind, but you can get adapters. Right. That's what it, that'll fit for both of them. So it's an adapter to go from uh, instead of using like the one pound bottles. It's like a hose that hooks on and it, and it goes on to like your like a 20 pound tank. Is that right?
1: Correct, exactly. Yeah, that's what okay. I did. I bought the double, the double tank, the bigger one, the Mister Buddy Big Heater, Big yep. Buddy Heater. Um, I've done video reviews on them, uh, and uh, and it's a great heater. Um, and uh, we, like I said, we got quite a few of these now. I think we're up to four because we got the one in the sunroom, we got the one in the garage, we got the one in the camper, and I got the one. Yeah, we got four, four of these now. Right. One yep. is never even been oh, it's just still in a box. Um, and uh, but like I said, and then yeah, you buy the hose adapter for like thirty bucks, so you're looking at like a hundred and 125 135 bucks total mm-hmm. for one but uh like i said in the propane tanks um you know I, I buy my own bottles and i don't return them or exchange them i just take them up and have them filled so i keep my nice bottles but uh um, you know my jugs but i even have a thing that will let me fill from a 20 pound jug i can fill one refill one pounders if i want to uh, right. That was like 12 12- and I know it's not legal to it's legal to fill them, but it's not legal to transport them filled, refilled. Um, right. I think is the law. But at any rate, um, not that I would ever use it in case of an emergency. Why bother otherwise? Right, but right, uh, yeah. but I have to, you know. Yeah, yeah. That reminded like I said, me. Then, I was
0: I was I was using course. the grill today, and I meant to go and get my 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 spare tank. I we have we have two. Uh, twenty pounder because it's sitting empty right now. So I'm gonna have to go do that tomorrow because I, I keep forgetting to do that. But and I don't have one of those adapters for the Mister Buddy heater. I you know I have one like I said. I'm staring at one right now in my garage, and um, yeah. So that's that's good. And and people don't know you can use those inside. You know they have um.
1: Mr. Buddies, they have an oxygen low oxygen shut off on them, so right. you can use them inside. Um, now, granted, they do give off. There is still a little carbon monoxide to them. They're not recommended to use it for a light, you know, for a heat source for your whole life. You know, if you're right. living off or something. But for using, you know, to use them for two weeks, three weeks, a month at a time, if you had to as a heat source, I, you're going to be completely fine. You're safe for that. Yeah, and they also have like an inertial switch
0: inside, where if you tip them, you know, for like a fire hazard, right. they, they they only work when they're vertical. Like if you tip them past vertical, I don't know, is like 10, 15 degrees or something like that, then it shuts off. You know, so you know, yeah. if you don't, you don't have to worry about somebody knocking it over and setting your house on fire because you're huddled up, you know, and catches a blanket on fire or something like that, you know, kind of thing. So.
1: Yep. Yeah, because even if I go to pick mine up and move it, like in the camper, if I want to move yeah. it closer to the bedroom at night, I, you know, if we're running off grid, and I go to pick it up, move it, it it'll shut off on me. Half
0: it'll shut off. You know, yeah.
1: yeah, pretty. You know, they don't take much for them to trip, so they're they're probably, in my opinion, the safest heater that you can have without running gas lines and you know, permanently installing something. As far as a portable, they're they're awesome. And they they throw out a lot of heat. You know, I mean, our uh, our camper. You know, our, our camper is a pretty good-sized camper. I don't know what the square footage is on it, but it's 34-foot, you know, camper with a huge slide, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can be out there at 10 degrees. We were we were down in, you know, I took my wife down in Missouri when we went down there and 100 in December uh, for a few days, and, and our water lines froze every single night. Everything froze up on that thing uh, in the camper because it was down in, the, you know, like said, 10, 15 degrees, um, but, uh, but we were nice and toasty living just off of that uh, Mr. Buddy heater. You know, it was completely yeah. fine, and we were running on low and medium most of
0: the time yeah my the, the big buddy has the fan right it's got the fan that there requires batteries right that kind of like blows out the heat mine the single like the, the regular mr buddy or, or whatever not the big buddy, the mr buddy heater that doesn't have a fan and um that just basically just radiates heat you know whatever heat you got you got that kind of porcelain plate you know that um I I'm, am I'm guess it is porcelain, right? Like the white thing that kind of uh, the, the heats yep. up on the on the front, you know, behind the cage there, and it just kind of radiates out heat. But I mean, in an enclosed area, and if you're gonna huddle huddle around the thing, uh, if it's a, if it's what you got, it's what you got. You know, I got it for Christmas. I almost wish I'd, I'd gotten like the the big buddy one. You know, um, and uh, I've actually used. I've actually taken that thing out hunting as well. When I when I've gone to um, a couple times a year, I, I go I go up north to uh, to a buddy's um, property up here during rifle season um, and or muzzleloader season. But I'll usually only get like one or two days up there, right? And his you know his property is like the you know total opposite of what we'd normally do what you and i anyway normally do um, you know elevated box blind there's a swivel chair in there there's the windows you know that go up and down and the you know you just basically sit all day wait for a deer to walk out kind of thing and you know pop them with a 30-06 but um it, it gets it, you know muzzleloader season here is like you know first two weeks of december and it gets pretty damn cold up north you know so i've actually taken they have those up there too in, in every one of their blinds but i've taken it up there and trust me i mean all i do is i, I haul you know like like a couple pounds. Bottles, you know, one or two pound bottles, in in my pack, you know, go up there, hang out, and it doesn't take much uh, to to light that thing and just kind of huddle over it. Just get your, just getting your hands warm, you know, and your face warm, um, just for maybe like five ten minutes, and then you shut it off. And then, you know, you're good for, like, another half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. You know what I mean? When it's just, like, blistering cold outside. Um, the amount of, of warmth, body, like, kind of rejuvenation that you get from just a little bit of, um, you know, holding – it's almost like holding your hands and face over a campfire kind of thing is amazing, you know? I mean, they're bulky, obviously, but, you know, it doesn't take much.
1: Is yours the the little round one, the little round one that runs on one bottle, or is yours the one that's, like, a, a Mr. Buddy like a big mr buddy big buddy but it's only got one
0: band it's the mr buddy uh with with only with only one side it's not the little round deal but i tell you what i actually uh this year when i went up there one of those shooting houses and that's what they the other shooting houses had one of the little round round ones on there you know it's, it looks like it's got like a little uh um almost looks like a like a radar dish kind of thing or like a a TV dish, you know, that kind of radiates out and it just basically screws on top of the um, top of the propane tank Uh, that for, for what I was using it for um, I would almost in those cases, outdoor cases, we're not talking like emergency, you know, home anymore. But um, I would almost rather have one of those because the amount of heat, like I said, that you get from just that little, you know, little area. All you're doing is you're kind of warming your hands over the thing, warming your face, warming your chest, and then it's good. Um, and it, it doesn't have a fan either, and neither does mine. Now the big buddy. With the dual propane tanks, um, also has a a fan option, and I I don't. You you could probably you you know better obviously because I don't have one, but it runs off of batteries. You flick the switch on, and it and it and it blows that that air around. I don't know how much I don't have much experience with them, but it blows that air around rather than just sitting there radiating heat. And I thought, well, if I'm going to just sit around something radiating heat, I might as well have this like smaller version of it that I can actually like, you know, maybe even like pack into places if I had to. You know what I mean? It's still bulky, but, you know, um, they're, they're all they're all good options. They're all good options, I think
1: yeah well with the uh, with the fan one if you don't have the fan the other thing you could do like i do in my wall tent you can buy on amazon you can get a five or eight dollar clamp on desk fan that's made out of plastic that runs yep. on double a batteries and just clamp it right on the handle of that thing and direct that air anywhere you want to because the heat yep. rises and the fan blows it out to you um and that's what i do in my wall tent on the really cold nights i put a fan up by the up right up at the the roof line, by where the stove pipe comes through above the stove, and I have that fan directed out into the middle of the tent down low, and it blows it takes all that extra heat that's rising that you lose and sends it right back down into the tent and warms it. It works really good. Yeah. Um, and those little round, that little round, Mr. Buddy, you know, when we were in Missouri this year, um, Steve came out there with us, and it was me and Joe out there in my wall tent, and Steve brought his, just his little 10-foot wall tent. And he didn't bring a stove or nothing because when he was packing and coming, he, he, you know, it's, it's, weather changes sometimes in the winter. He was expecting warmer weather. We had a couple nights that got down into the 20s, and uh, when we got back to camp that night, he was like, man, it's going to be a cold night. I told him, I said, well, take our, I, I have a, a Mr. Heater that is a cooker slash heater um, unit that uh, is really powerful. It runs on one pound tanks. Um, and it, but it's, I mean, those one pound tanks don't last not 40 minutes on this thing. It's pure power. Oh, wow. This thing's yeah. insane. insane. Um, and I use it a lot because we can cook on it. Um, So it's quick and easy to boil water for like macaroni cheeses or hot dogs or anything like Mm -hmm. that. But also in the mornings, you know, we don't want to start a fire in the morning. So when we get up in the morning hunting, we're up, dressed and gone in 15 minutes. But before I get out of my sleeping bag, I'll reach over and I'll light that, that heater up and I'll just let it's right on ground level. And I let it run for 10 minutes before we get out of the sleeping bags. And that tent's nice and warm so you can get dressed where it's warm. So I carry it for that. Well, I let Steve borrow it that first night and he's like, it's great but man, I, I, you know, it doesn't last long. So he went to Walmart after hunting the next night and he bought one of those round Mr. Buddies. Um, like you're talking about that, you know, just around, it's just, you know, it's, uh, just screws right on top of a propane bottle. Yep. And, uh, and he used that, he said it was just gold. He said that thing kept him nice and toasty all night long, worked like a champ. It was a fantastic heater, uh, for that kind of stuff, you know? So that's, that is a yep. great option those little ones there's a lot of great options out there i even seen a guy at a sportsman show that actually had a cast it was like a, a thicker steel like i'm gonna say eighth inch thick or maybe even quarter probably quarter inch thick piece of, a couple pieces of angle iron that you welded together and it and it screws right over top of your propane torch and that torch had heats this whole thing and that you know through uh you know through the actual radiant of that hot metal mm-hmm. heats everything uses it in a tree stands or in ice fishing sheds and all that kind of stuff too so there's a lot of op- options out there but for your house a good mr. buddy heater is gonna be hard to beat
0: yeah yeah cool all right I want to segue this Jason we, we've talked about doom and gloom and prepping a uh, lot <laughs> long enough here um, you you kind of alluded to some trips you've been taking and uh, let's focus on like the, the last like few that you've done because you it seems like I mean once deer season ends for you, like this, this year, it seems like you've like kind of gone headlong and heading down South and, and hunting hogs. You want to, you want to talk about that for a little bit?
1: Yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, I used to do everything I could to enjoy winter and I hate winter. I have in winter slow. That's my slow time of the year for me work-wise as a wedding photographer yeah. in Michigan, usually January, February, March, and even until about from, from, from Christmas through you know through easter is usually a little slower um you know i might have just one two maybe three weddings each month so it's a lot slower time for me i used to snowmobile real big time and was heavy into that we traveled to wyoming and, and montana and all that stuff to you know chase snowstorms and everything with that stuff and it was fun but it was expensive and so i got out of that about eight years ago nine years ago and since then we just sit here in the winter and do nothing and it drives me nuts and we're covered <laughs> up here around man you know, I mean, it's not uncommon for us to have two feet of snow on the ground. I mean, so you can't go yeah. do any. Um, and, and I kind of hated it. Well, uh We decided that, you know, I mean, with the the extra money coming in from the podcast stuff and, you know, the Amazon stuff and from the hunting courses and things like that, that, uh, you know, I got to a point where it it would pay for us to buy a camper and we saved up some money, Um, you know, so it pays for my monthly payment for the camper. And we saved up enough money throughout the year that we were able to this year and hopefully every year from here, we're going to try and take um, you know, four or five trips down South, you know, in the winter time and get into warmer weather. And this year, um, that's what we did. You know, we went down there, we went, you know, I, I did, uh, what I do, I did, uh, we did a family vacation over Christmas, but then I did a hog hunt, um, in January down there with my wife. We only stayed for two and a half days, killed a pig down there, came home for two weeks. Then I went back, we went, me and her went back down there again, hunted for three days, came back, And then I went to South Carolina for three days and then came back. And then uh, I'm actually leaving in two weeks um, to go back down again with uh, John down to Georgia one more time. So it's definitely been nice to get out of the cold weather, get away from this every. So I'm like, you know, home for for two weeks, gone for a week, home for two weeks, gone for a week. You know, that's great.
0: Yeah. No, that, that's, that's awesome. So you go down with, uh, you're throwing out some names there. So John Tucker, right. From the, from the Tucker Chronicles, right.
1: Back, to back saddle. To yep.
0: Right. Um, incredible saddle, by the way. Um, I, I can't sing its its praises enough. I, I, I love that thing. I got to have John back on here again, um, to talk about any of the, like the new stuff he's, uh, he, he's doing, I haven't seen any of it yet, you know, but when he does, I definitely want to, you know, want him back on again. Um, Matter- and-
1: down on Wednesday, Wednesday at two o'clock, I am supposed to meet him over at his house. Uh, We're three hours apart, but i got to be down there for some meetings and stuff on Wednesday, and we're supposed to meet at 2 o'clock, and I'm going to shoot video of his new saddle, um, that new one he's got, and we're going to, you know, we tried to do this twice already. Once we got blown out by rain, and then Mm -hmm. the second time we tried to do it, he uh, got stuck at work and couldn't get out of meetings, and we ran out of daylight, Uh, so the plan is Wednesday at 2 o'clock, we are going to shoot the videos uh, and uh, review his new uh, saddle that, that new style saddle he's got out so that should be pretty cool
0: that's cool i, I haven't uh i haven't seen what it looks like so i'm i'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what the you know improvements are and, and changes are and that kind of stuff you know i'm still loving mine i'm still i, I was i was kind of playing around with the downstairs uh reorganizing some stuff for last night and i'm like man i really uh i really want to be hanging in the tree right now you know um now you don't you don't know you don't hunt out of a saddle you've tried it you're like you know the ultimate run and gun guy um I don't want to totally because anybody who listens to my show, obviously, is probably listening to your show. So you know, everyone knows you're on the Lone Wolf, you know, Assault Two. Uh, you know, you've got your own, you know, like the climbing system, and and, and uh, you know, you build your own uh, lineman belts and that kind of stuff. All these videos are on your channel. But when you went down south, now, um, did you did you employ the same strategies that you do for for hunting deer as far as scouting goes, as far as setting up, you know, how you set up? uh and, and and how you choose where to set up were you mostly on the ground or were you in a tree stand how, how did that work
1: i didn't bring any tree stands um for the pigs um i did no setups at all it was basically sun up till sundown spot and stalk hunting is basically what i'm doing yeah and uh, now i did a couple of times but i've never seen a pig doing it so i probably won't anymore but uh two one time down there the first night down uh, that me and my wife went down to Georgia. She was exhausted from walking all day. So she went and sat in a truck to relax for the last hour. And I went down and set up in a spot where I thought would be pretty good. I saw nothing. I came back to the truck after dark and she's got pictures on her phone of a pig that walked 20 yards from the truck, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh... Um, and then I did it when we were in South Carolina. When I was down there the first day, we were down there. We didn't see any pigs that first day. But uh, that one day, a uh, friend of mine, Philip Johnson, came down. He lives in South Carolina, but he had never been where I went to, and he came down there and hunted that day with me. And he he said the same thing. He's like, "Hey, for this last hour, let's set up in this area." So he set up in one spot. I went about 500 yards and set up in another. And neither one of us saw anything that night. Hmm. Um, and so those are the two times. And then when me and John. We're in Georgia last year in April, we did the same thing for two nights in a row set up and we never saw nothing that way. So I personally, I don't think I'll ever have another day where I'm going to set up. I I would much rather be trying to move and find a pig. So I'm more of a spot stock, stay on them the whole time and and try and get with them. And, you know, like that first day, me and Philip, we didn't see nothing. And in the next two days, I saw like 28 pigs in two days, you know, wow. um, and I, I had all of them inside of 35 yards, but some of them, I, I mean, I had to watch a group of eight pigs walk by me at like <clears throat> nine yards. I couldn't shoot cause it was too thick a river cane. You know, I couldn't get an arrow mm-hmm. in there if I, mm-hmm. you know, but it was nice being with them. So I, I don't, uh. The, the, the pig hunting is a thousand times different than what I'm doing for deer hunting. Like you said, for deer hunting, it's, you know, I, I do have a system. I do not hunt out of a saddle. Uh, like you talked about with John and his new one, he's been in that new, the one that he is releasing here that we are going to film on Wednesday is the one he hunted all year this year out of so i spent a week with him in kansas with it it is funny because there were even times we'd come back to the you get back to our boats and he'd be like oh my god this trap does this and how this does this he's naming (laughs) all these terms uh these uh you know your uh um i I don't even know what these terms were you know like the bridge i don't know Mm -hmm. what a lot of this stuff it keep rattling us off and I would just literally say to him, I am say, well, if you shoot it at F-250, it's 2.8. You're going to get this kind of a blurred background. And you go, what? I'm like, exactly. <laughs> hey, you're telling me stuff I know nothing about. it. the same as me trying to tell you camera numbers. He's like, okay, yeah. I get it. I'm like, I'm excited for you, but I don't know what that is. You have to show me because I can't. Uh, your, your terminology, I don't get it. So yeah. I know very well about saddles. I'm, I'm not a saddle hunter you know but with the tree stands that's that's kind of my system um john's been bugging me to get into that saddle for so long but you know what i uh i I trust my system i trust it i know that it's going to work everywhere i'm comfortable with it and i I don't have a problem carrying a weight now i have told john you know if the day comes where i i'm older and i don't want to have to carry all this stuff in and uh something like that i very well may go to a saddle like that and do something along those lines but as far as uh Right now, I, I, I like my system. I know it's a little more to carry, but I move through the woods and through the swamps so silent and smooth with it. Um, I, I just don't want to have to change nothing. You know, I, I like what yeah. it works. It's been working for 50 for 15 years, you know yeah i mean you,
0: you certainly got you certainly got it down and, and and if anybody wants to see your videos i mean just j- just go on uh, you know traditional hunting wilderness podcast you've got years worth of stuff and you've updated a, a few of those videos too i know you like you redid another one for your lineman belt and that kind of thing and you've got all kinds of um you know like diy kind of stuff for your uh for you know for, for quieting your stand and sticks and you know this that and the other so you, you know for for me it wasn't it wasn't necessarily uh, a weight issue um it was just more bulk and clanging and and I, I don't know. I guess more crap to haul up the tree. It was was my was my problem, you know. And maybe I just yeah, was going I, too fast. Even when I slowed down, you know, you got you got even even my climbing method now, right? I do the one stick method now. I don't even like taking three sticks in because then you got to have the sticks dangling off your side and there's ways to do it. You know, you put, you put them on paracord or, or clips or whatever, but they're still dangling. And you got to you know, worry about the, the, you know, the um, pulling up the uh, stand itself and slapping it against the tree and, and, and that kind of thing. And I just kind of got like, you know, when it gets cold later season, you know, uh, I just don't want to have to deal with that. And I found that I was hunting on the ground a lot more. Cause I'm like, man, I just don't feel like dealing with this, you know, in a tree. But then the saddle thing came along and, um, I was like, well, I can just, you know, I, I don't wear it in, but I mean, you know, it's it's easy. I can, I can just put it on the base of the tree. And then when I figured out this climbing system, I, I didn't figure it out. I, I figured out how to make it work for me. Other people have been using the, you know, the one stick method. Now I'm like, okay, I don't have like all this extra clanging metal, the dangling, you know, pendulum, you know, side to side from both my sides and off my back and this and that um and the times that i actually did uh you know shoot out of a tree state especially trying to shoot a traditional bow for me was hard because i couldn't really p- place my feet where i wanted to place my feet you know I, I couldn't get them far apart it's not like it's obviously not like shooting off the ground where you can you know spread your spread your uh you know your feet the way you want you can have your stance the way you want and i never got comfortable with my upper body um strength i guess or uh like stability uh with with the traditional boat you know and this past season out of a saddle since you're always kind of in tension, you know it's one less thing to worry about now i just got to work on you know not swinging around like me becoming the pendulum you know i was talking about this with um uh dalton lewis from uh, the stick boys i had him on last uh, uh last episode and you know he he found the same deal he tried a saddle but he, he just couldn't make it work for him you know as well so i'm still kind of you know playing around with my whole system you know
1: Yep. Yeah, and i don't know many people that go to saddles that don't stay with a saddle i mean a saddle is a great thing um, like i said i mean in john like i said i i hunt with him every year out of his and i mean i watch this guy i'll watch him do 5 12 hour sits in that saddle in a row you know i mean he's he's got it down to comfortable his is amazing and he you know his saddle's great but um and he kills a lot of animals out of them and he straight up loves them and and mm-hmm. i get that you know, so it is a, a beautiful thing for a lot of people. Just for me, it's not quite that. Now I will say, anybody though uh the one thing that really I, I do not like seeing, not even ever, um, is uh there is no reason to ever put your sticks on your body and care or on your like dangling from a piece of paracord or mm-hmm. something like that if you're climbing a tree, that's pretty dangerous, even <clears throat> with a lineman belt. On. Up, you know, you slip down and that stick hooks on another stick or a branch. That's gonna, you know, you're gonna land on that. And I, I don't like that concept. Um, right. And you're, are like, gonna make noise. You're gonna fling around side to side, <clears> banging <throat> another stick or something. So I, I don't do that. I actually will put my, I extend out my buckles and I put them right through the the V bracket of my first stick. Um, And so when I climb up my first stick, I just reach down, lift my one foot, grab that one buckle. And I pull the first stick up or this, you know, the sec would be my number two stick up and hang it and then before i climb onto that stick i reach down and grab the buckle of the other one and i hang that in the v bracket of the second one um so as i'm climbing these sticks are always right against the tree and not moving or making a sound uh when i come down i just throw them down because when i come i go in quieter than a baby mouse peeing on a cotton ball but when Mm -hmm. i come out i a freight train you know i don't yeah care i
0: anything. start i start tossing yeah i start tossing shit off the tree and you know so so go back a little bit so explain that a little bit um in, in more detail so you walk up to the tree and you obviously have your first stick and you slap your first stick up against the tree you you know you cinch it down whatever and then you know you put your lineman belt on climb up on the sticks now what do you do how is that second stick that you're that's going to go above the first stick how is that how is that attached to um to that first stick you put on
1: all right so when i hit the base of the tree i know the tree i want to go in. i hit the base of it so when i'm there i you know i basically pop my uh my you know my backpack you know my hip belt on my backpack my sternum strap drop the pack down pull my sticks and my standoff mm-hmm. i take that first stick which is always got an aider on the bottom. It's got a two foot eight on it. I take that stick and I reach up as high as I can possibly reach. Now, keep in mind, I'm only five, you know, not even five, seven. I was going to make I'm a like joke, five, but yeah, six. go ahead. <laughs> You're right. So, yeah. So I'm short, but I put it up as high as I possibly can, uh, and reach that strap and lock that stick on. Um, and then what I do then is I take my second stick and I slide the buckle out towards the end of the strap. Okay. So the, the cam buckle is all the way out at the very end. And then I lean the stick against the tree. And that, when I do that, right, it's maxed out about at the point where I can have that buckle with my yak grip over. It will sit right over, you know, it goes right into the V bracket on the top of my top or at the top of that first stick at the top. So At when the top I'm, of the first stick. Okay. Yeah, the top of the first stick. Um, And sometimes it might dangle a little bit. It might not, you know, be resting right on the ground, but I hook it in there. And with that yak grip, it fits right in there and locks solid. It's not coming out. Um, And uh, so then I put one in there and then the other one I'll either put in there or I'll hang the loop of my third stick, the loop that's going to go around the Versa button at the end of the strap. I'll hang that right on the top step of my first stick. So, on that first stick, I have two. I have, when I'm at the top, I have access to the straps of both of my other sticks. And then I climb. And then once I get up there, um, you know, when I get up on there, when I'm on the second stick, and before I step on the third step, I'll grab that strap and I just give that strap a hard yank and it shoots the stick up in the air and I grab it right next to me, just a quick pull and grab. And then I put that stick on the tree. Lock it where I need it. Now, before I climb onto the second stick, I'll grab that other strap, bring it up, and I'll either hang it on the top step of the that stick or I'll oh, wedge it in. The okay. So now my my third stick is hanging by my second stick, and then when I get up to the top of my second stick, I grab the strap, give it a quick yank, it shoots the stick up in the air. I grab the stick and put it right on. You know, so it's quick, easy, and simple.
0: You know, you need to do a video on that. I I don't think I've seen you do a video on that. I think you should do that. Like
1: yeah, I think I did it in the. Uh, I think the one of how to hang a tree stand fast, safe, and easy. I think I where I showed it start to finish. You pro- people probably aren't paying attention much to it, but I think I actually talked about it in there and explained. Sure. How, I, I do show in there how I do it. Um, but but yeah, that way you, there's you, number one. Your sticks are right there with you. They're not clanking into anything, and they're ultra fast to be able to put yeah. up. So literally as fast as I can climb, I can pull those sticks right up with me. Like I said, you grab the strap, you yank it in. It's actually kind of a. It's kind of comical and you feel pretty cool when you do it because i grab the strap i yank it once it sends the stick up in the air i let go of the strap and then i grab the stick out of the air it's pretty cool i, I mean i feel like a man when i'm doing that's it. pretty
0: cool yeah right? yeah no i got I, I can i can imagine yeah yeah you kind of fling it up and catch it midair and you know yeah. so it, does it scrape against the tree when you're yanking it up like that like the, nope. it's, you're pulling up vertically
1: once I, uh, nope once i pull that strap and I pull that strap, say, off the top step or out of the V bracket. I pull the whole stick and strap out away from the tree, you know, a foot out there. Or so, and then I give it a jerk so it shoots up nice and clean.
0: Okay. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. And, and you normally go up what? You, you carry what? Uh, three steps usually or four? I mean.
1: I only run three sticks now um, because I don't want to be higher than 20 feet. And if I stretch out, if I stretch mine out now with that aider on there, I can get 19 feet and uh, 19 feet, eight inches or something with my three sticks to my platform. Wow. Um, So, yeah, I mean, now I'm stretching it pretty far, but now I stretch it in a different way. Um, I'll, if I know I have to be, cause I mean, I don't ever hang a stand where I don't know exactly. I'm not looking up the tree going, that's where my stand's going to be right there. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where it's going to be. So I know how, how much I have to do to get it there. And if it's going to be a stretch like that, if I'm going up 19, 18, 19 feet, usually I'm about 15 or 16. But if I know I'm going up 18, 19 feet up, um, I will push that first one. I'll push that first one. So I'll actually, there has been times where I'll hang a Stick on the tree low just so i can climb on it to hang my first stick because i can't reach up that high but where mm-hmm. i'll hang my first stick so that my bottom step is literally at about chin high um yeah. and uh i think the second one off and what i'll do is i'll actually grab that that first stick and i'll pull myself up and walk my feet up the tree Mm -hmm. and kind of almost put my first step and climb on it so any exaggerations that i do to get me up there i always do them down at ground level i'm not gonna push limits of how far i'll move my platform from that top stick and and fight it up there because that's too risky if i'm gonna I, i push all my limits down at ground level
0: no, I agree, and I find like that, that first, the first stick, getting getting the high, getting the highest elevation off the first stick, is kind of the hardest thing for me because, um, unlike when you start climbing up the tree, like once you start climbing up the tree, the tree is pretty straight. I mean, it could have some you know twists and knots and not kind of you know, limbs or whatever, but you got to figure at the base of the tree, um, depending on the tree obviously, like you know it starts to flare out where where the roots start to go into the ground. Um, it's not even the roots, it's just like the base of the tree. I mean, it just kind of mushrooms out, it kind of flares right. out. And you can't necessarily sometimes walk straight up to the tree and get a good foothold, like like your toe right up against, you know, the, the base of the tree, you know, it, where it starts to go vertical. You're sometimes like, I don't know, like a foot, you know, a foot and a half away from like the tree proper. So yeah. it's, you know what I mean? So it seems like that's like the hardest, the hardest thing. Um, the initial step the initial stick is kind of the hardest one to do and then once you're up that i find it i find it easier you know i find it easier to climb you know and, yeah, and you're I still have,
1: go ahead i was just gonna say i have even now i carry in my backpack i carry four extra pieces of one inch strap that are in loops mm-hmm. um so and in, in you know they're not all the same exact size they're just random you know but they're anywhere from uh you know, like if you were to pull them tight, one would be two feet, one would be three feet, and one would be two feet. You know, they're between two and three feet long, okay, yeah. these these loops. Um And uh, I carry those. So when I do hunt these really big oak trees, uh, where my sticks and my stand don't have enough strap to get around them, I can put them on as extenders. Mm. Well, there's also times if I'm like in Missouri, and I'm going to be on a say I'm on a, I have to be on a downhill side of an area where I want to be at for whatever reason. And I got to shoot up there higher. And if I got to be 24 feet in a tree. But really, I'm only 12 feet above, or you know, I'm only 12 feet above where my shooting is. Right. Um, for those situations, I'll take one of those straps and I'll loop it through and put it right on my aider. So now I got a four foot long two step aider. Okay. And what I do is I take my, but you can't use that. That cracks me up when I see people running, you know, a three foot aider on the first stick. You can't put it up high enough to make it matter.
0: It's not. You can only, yeah, you can only reach so high with your hands to, to cinch okay. down that
1: first stick, right? So, what I'll do is, I'll hang my second stick again low on the tree, just throw it around there real quick, and then I will climb up that one to hang my first stick so that that double aider is about belt high for that bottom step. And then, mm-hmm. so, so that step is actually higher than i can actually reach up the tree is where my first actual step is but again anywhere i'm pushing the limits or doing anything risky i do it down low um and for me a double gator is risky i i don't trust the swing factor of that Mm -hmm. so but i don't mind doing it down low so then i'll pull the second stick off and then I'll hang them on there like I told you I, I do. And then I'll use that, uh, I'll grab hold of that, uh, that, even grab hold of the aider and use it like a rope to climb me up to get my first foot in there. So, yeah. I mean, that's how, like I said, I don't need to carry four sticks. If I, No matter what situation I run into, um, I can make it work. And then, I mean, realistically, as you know, being a one-stick climber, I mean real no no joke about it with a leapfrog method, if I get the first stick up there and I realize I gotta go up even higher for whatever reason, it doesn't happen often. But I can piggyback those sticks using my, my tether and my uh, you know, my safety line for my shoulders mm-hmm. and my alignment belt and I can I can take that second stick off and use it for a four stick above my third stick. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And you're using so, a full length uh, lone wolf sticks, right?
1: Yeah. I never understood. Uh, Again, everybody's got personal preferences, but for me um, it's all about speed. I want, I, when I hit the base of that tree, um, especially you know, being a traditional bow hunter, I might stand there for 40 minutes trying to go this tree or that tree or this tree, mm-hmm. uh, because you know, we can't be off by 10 yards or the game's over. We have to be in the right spot. And, uh, so when I pick that tree, I want to be up that thing as fast as humanly possible. And right now it's about between three to three to four minutes. And from the second I hit that buckle on my hit on my hip belt, till I'm actually in my tree with my bow, knocked and hanging next to me, you know, yeah. um, and in order to do that, I need to speed full size sticks still mount on my stand correctly in the way I have them. They do not snag on any brush or anything. So there's no reason for me to go smaller and three sticks get me what I need. If I go to the smaller sticks, now I have four or five different straps that I have to contend with and sticks that I have to hang and things that I got to coordinate, you know, I mean, it's a lot bigger of a pain in the butt, you know?
0: Absolutely. Climbing the stick is easy putting, you know, grabbing another stick Throwing it around the tree, doing the buckle, cinching it, what you know, pushing it down, whatever, locking it, and then climb. that is what every iteration of that is what is what takes time. And you know, if I were still using a tree stand, absolutely, I'd be using the full length sticks. I like double, I like double steps. You know, I, I, I find it kind of tiring sometimes if you're only got like you know one you know one leg up, one leg down um, on the like, like the lone wolf setup. You know, where it's only got the single step on each side um but still like when i had the hockey i still have the same hockey heliums they're just cut down um they're like 32 inch you know and those were great they're super light you slap them on and you gain a lot of you know a lot of elevation per iteration of of you know putting you know a stick on um but when you and i've talked about this before when you have a platform when you have a tree stand you've got a solid platform on which to um strap your st- your sticks to um whether it's bungeed or strapped or whatever you know I, I don't care whatever you use it's a nice f- relatively flat surface that those sticks can lay on and you can kind of cinch it down tight so that thing is locked together um and if it's done right you can take it shake it it's not going to make a lot of noise um when you do you know when, when you're in a saddle you lose that platform you lose that long kind of you know metal base on which to put your sticks and you're basically trying to uh, you, you're trying to cinch down like these three, four, whatever, big, long metal, you know, metal bars, metal tubes whatever you want to call them onto something soft, meaning your, your backpack and trying to cinch something hard like that onto something soft like a backpack, depending on how full it is or not full it is, is that that's kind of a pain. So it's one of the reasons I actually switched to the one stick method is I, only, I don't I only have to deal with with the one stick, you know. And since I'm moving it up, you know, as I go, I figured, well, I can move it up a few more times and just not deal with the extra height and everything like that sticking up above my head or sideways if I'm, you know, if I'm carrying it that way. Um, you know, this, this year I was using, um, that, uh, it's called the artisan outdoor fabrications uh, platform. It's like a little mini platform. It's like like four inches wide, or you know, deep or whatever, by I think like twelve or thirteen inches wide, and it replaces the top step on um, you know various climbing sticks. He, he makes them for you know uh, a bunch of different models, and that's what I was uh, you know just that one stick, and that is my platform. That is what I'm standing on um, when I when I'm at height, but. Uh, I'm, I'm finding that with that one, after kind of using it, you know, this past season, um, it's a great platform, but I'm having trouble doing those kind of leaning away, uh, you know, around the corner, kind of around the tree, you know, kind of thing off angle shots. That, that, you know, they make it look so easy on the YouTube videos, you know, but in in practice, I'm finding like, you know, your your body because it's swinging, it's like a pendulum and it kind of finds the low side of, of, of the tree of gravity, you know, and there's not a lot of foot room on that smaller platform. To, to, to kind of brace yourself, you know, and stabilize yourself and, and use your legs to kind of, you know, work against each other to, to have a solid, like if you're going to lean out one direction, you know, you need to push with one leg and kind of have the other leg bent but still have a pressure on it kind of thing. So I think I'm going to, I'm really seriously thinking about looking into that, the, the Predator platform from, from Tether because everyone uh, seems to love that thing and they say it's solid and it's a little bit wider and it's got the little wings on the side where you can kind of push off, you know, the back edge of it I mean, with one foot um, and then the closer edge to the tree with the other foot and just kind of stabilize yourself. Because I found when I was especially shooting a trad bow, again, you need this. You need a stable base um, in order to kind of steady your, your upper half. With a compound, it's easy. You pull back. Everything's lined up. I mean, you could be swinging half sideways and you can still get a good shot off. But um, with a traditional bow, especially when you're looking out with, for, with, for like a limb clearance and things like that, um, you know, I, 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 I'm glad I did what I did this past year because I learned a lot about my system, about what I can, what I can't do, um, what's efficient, and what's not. You know, if I do this, this, this tethered platform, then, of course, I, I, I got to have one more thing with me you know um which i'm trying to minimize but if it means i can be more effective in how many you know how well i can shoot and the angles that i can shoot i think i think that's a worthy trade-off you know
1: yeah and i know a lot of guys used to like the americe steps uh, plastic strap on steps they put much bunch you know five or six of them on one strap mm-hmm. you know that we're good um you know something that i i, I I got laughed at for it, but I, uh, I'll i tell you, it might work because I had to trim a tree one time that I, I used uh, like 12 sticks, 12 climbing sticks to get up there. Uh, and I had to trim a pine tree that was leaking sap all over my, my driveway, but I didn't want to get rid of the tree, but I wanted to shave that side. And well, I knew I'd have to be able to move around that big tree up there when I got there. So what I did is I took a couple of uh, wheel chucks that they sell for campers and stuff. They're like $5 a piece, but they're a wheel chuck and they're plastic and they're super lightweight. Um, And I ran a strap through them and I went up there and when I, Uh, got to the top of that stick i put those on so i had a chuck on each side and i could actually walk around the tree on them dude they worked like a champ it was like nothing and they're lightweight they stacked together and i'm telling you it's probably a brilliant idea (laughs) Uh, you know those yeah you're right
0: because those um those ring of steps um Whoever whoever sells them, whatever version sells them, they do look like a wheel chalk. They're basically just kind of it's like an L shape with uh you know uh, kind of ser, not I wouldn't call them serrations, but like kind of bumps you know on so for for grip, and yeah, so I I, I suppose you could do that. I um I was telling uh, Dalton last week you know about the ring of steps, and I said I bought some just to try from, uh, you know, off a saddle hunter forum or whatever they got, you know, they were used, but, you know, I always wanted to give it a try. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try something different for maybe a little bit of better foot, you know, stability up top there. And, um, I got them in the box. They were like five or six of them in this, you know, strap and they were heavy and they were clanking. And I mean, I was like, uh, I literally pulled them out of the box, played with them for like a, min- a minute, two minutes maybe, and I said, "No way!" I put them right back in the box, and they went right back uh, for sale. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just like I'm like there's there's, there's no way I'm going to use this. You know, there's no way I'm going right. to use it. It's just, you, you just know when you know, you know, when when you're working on. Um, and that's what I love about what, what we do. And I know you do a lot of this, too, is, you know, you're constantly kind of um, improving, improving efficiency, you know, shaving a little bit here, shaving a little bit there. You know, do I, you know, if I shave weight here, is it going to is it going to hinder me if I, you know, have a little bit more bulk here? Is it worth the trade off of, of, you know, being more comfortable? So, you know, I, I, I did all the stuff. And um, you know, one thing uh, I, I just actually this weekend sold it. Actually, is um, I want to talk about uh, a, a pa- the packs real quick. Now, you've run a bunch of different packs. You uh, you had the Kuyu, uh, the eighteen fifty Icon Pro, right? For a while, yep. uh, you have the Venture twenty three hundred. um yep. You still do you still have that EXO uh, two thousand or something?
1: Yeah, EXO K two thousand. I love that pack. I'm i never getting rid of it. It's it's an amazing pack.
0: You still love that. And then what about them? You bought a Mystery Ranch, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I bought a Mystery Ranch Pentler pack, and I actually like that one a lot, too. I'm going to say it's probably neck and neck with the XO. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. But it has more room than the EXO. The problem I have with the EXO is the main compartment, by design, and it's a great design, is tapered towards the bottom. Yeah. And uh, that kind of made it tough for me because like I carry my my harness my lineman belt my vest um and a lot of gear inside that main compartment and it would just it wouldn't fit inside there real good without opening up the roll top Mm -hmm. um which worked but then that was kind of a pain so this mystery ranch Pintler. Yeah, It's a little mm-hmm. bigger to 2,500 cubic inch, and yeah. uh, it fits everything in there really, really good um, and quick and easy. And, again, for me, it's all speed. Not that I couldn't fit it in the XO, but I always had to, like, struggle and make sure everything was perfect and everything was really tight to fit it like I wanted to, mm-hmm. especially, like, Missouri can all day sits where I'm bringing lunch in there, too. i just running out of space. Well, that Pintler is a little bit bigger and a little bit faster, and I can be a lot more sloppy with how I load it. Yeah. I like it a wow. lot
0: yeah um for years i had that that icon pro 1850 as well um i could never get the frame to work uh, i did a video on this showing my displeasure with Kuyu about how okay. they've got so many different uh frames and and bag models and attachment methods that even even the people you talk to there they have no idea what you have and i just got frustrated with it and just kind of you know i modified the frame and then i and i chucked the frame that was a 150 mistake but um anyway so but but that that layout of That bag is still really good. Now, this past year, I was using the Kafaro door gunner. That's a thousand cubic inch uh, pack. As far as construction goes, I mean, that is like I mean, it's it's an incredibly well constructed pack. I mean, the quality is is there. Um, I just wish they'd make it bigger and uh they have no intentions of, of making but i talked to aaron a couple times you know about it and he's like well we got other other options you know shape charge this and that i don't like the shape charge i don't like the way it looks first of all I, i'm i'm sorry i'm vain on some of the stuff i like i, I want it to look good too um i i it, i I, it, I guess the shape charge is good but it doesn't have that it doesn't have a handle in the back and i don't We're understand dead. how a, a tree stand yeah. pack doesn't have like a grab handle that you can hang you know, uh, on the backside of, of, I mean, that's just such a glaring oversight to me. I I don't know. I don't know how that could even, even be, you know,
1: um, I, I i told aaron the same thing myself too he was talking about you know packs and stuff like that I, you know it doesn't have a handle yes it does one well, handles on a lid and yeah that that doesn't work for I, I will never buy a backpack that does not have a handle now mystery ranch technically doesn't have a handle either but it has a ladder construction frame which has a actual carbon fiber handle at the top which is wrapped in ballistic nylon so it's mm. a stiff handle it's solid so it serves the same purposes it makes right. me happy but yeah no i, I agree with you then i also agree too that of every pack i've ever seen and i I've, I've looked at every single pack out there by every pack maker um you know i may not have tried them all but i've looked at them and nobody I mean, for, for, for all my hunting purposes, for everything that I do, I have never found a better pocket layout than what you get on a Kuyu. Like my Venture 2300 is the same layout as that Icon Pro 850. Um, It's just bigger, but that layout of that 1850 uh, Kuyu or the 2300 Kuyu, nothing will ever be better for, for what I do. That pocket design, the front pocket, the top pocket, everything about it is straight up flawless. It's the best. The organization setup i've ever seen in a pack
0: yeah i um uh, i actually ended up ordering one yesterday uh, 2300 yesterday because i still have my 1850 and i i found the same problems that, that, that you have I, I don't like the way the the velcro straps are i mean you pick the thing up and you know you, you can hear the velcro creaking and, and popping a little bit you know like tearing kind of thing not not ripping but i mean you're like a velcro tearing um and i don't like the fact that the, the belt's amazing but you're right like you can't it's too stiff. Like you lay it down and the thing like doesn't lay down. It looks like the McDonald's arches, you know, they're, they're so arched, yep. they're so they're so stiff. And I, I always found that to be a bit of a problem in the tree, you know, because you got to yep. wrap it around the tree and block, you know, click it together. Um, so I, I'm actually, anyway, long story short, I'm selling the, I've sold the door gunner. I'm shipping it tomorrow, actually, because I found that um, it's a great, great pack with, um, you know, for early season. But sometimes I don't know if I'm going to be in a tree or I'm going to be on the ground. And I've got a ghillie suit that I'm trying to, you know, use on the ground sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to take everything. So I got my saddle in there. I got my two ropes in there. I got, um, you know, uh, I'm actually using a ratchet strap to help uh, cinch my um, uh, uh, stick to the tree um i'm finding just just using like the like the amp steel rope or whatever and just kind of you know doing the rope mod and just pulling down isn't enough it's it's great to climb with but if i'm going to lean out sideways and put any side side pressure on that stick um to to prevent kickouts yeah so i'm actually carrying an actual like ratchet strap you know which is heavy and bulky whatever but it, it gives me so much more stability up there um so anyway that plus all the normal stuff i pack. Um, and sometimes, you know, on, in one pocket I might have a tripod and the other pocket I have a tripod stool if I'm going to be on the ground. And, and by the time you put all the stuff, like a ghillie suit is pretty bulky and even just the top. And, you know, I want options. I want to be able to maybe bring my ghillie and my, and my, um, uh, saddle. Uh, sometimes if I'm not bringing that, I'll, you know, I'm like you, I carry a lot of extra stuff. There's nothing really in my pack that's, like, the other than clothes, because cause I'll take it in with me, but most of the stuff is either, like, in the bag or strapped to the outside of the bag, like, extra, you know, like, an extra vest or extra top or extra, you know... Um, uh, merino something or other, or, you know, extra gloves or mittens or whatever. I, I just kind of pack for everything, you know, and I do end up using it all. And this year, I actually, um, I, you know, I ordered like a, you know, like a, like a better camcorder and a uh, better tripod and things like that. So I'm going to try and fill more stuff in the field and I'm I'm definitely running out of room. So that thousand cubic inch, wasn't really. I just did a video on this this morning, actually, about why I'm selling the, the door gunner. And you know, if it had if it had more compression straps around the outside, and if it was bigger in size, um, it would be. I mean, an absolute home run because I didn't think I was going to like that top load style. I've never had a top load style before. You know, so it's like a big tube basically. But I ended up really liking that because in the tree you just kind of flip the top open. And you just reach down to grab stuff. Whereas with uh, like a horseshoe zipper, you got to make sure how much that thing flops over so, you, you know, shit doesn't fall out, you know, when you're when you're 16 feet in the air to the ground. You know what I mean? Um Yeah. So but um, I, I wanted to go a little bit bigger in size and have a little bit more room and a little bit less bulk with the. Uh, um, uh with with the belt and stuff so i just ordered the venture 2300 i mean i I literally ordered it like last night after hemming and hawing about it for a while i sold the door gunner i'm like okay well you know it's it wasn't quite an even trade but i'm selling a bunch of other stuff so you know i don't mind doing that and you know you're right i love the layout of of that bag and i know you know as much as i want to give you know aaron uh the business and they make incredible like you know well-constructed stuff i still don't think they have a perfect um uh layout as far as you know what a whitetail hunter hunter wants you know and in some of the other ones i don't like the look of the bag or the design of the bag um and i'm I'm just not that big a fan of like the add-on add-on pockets i like i like integrated pockets you know um some of the stuff that that he shows with um various configurations of all their different packs you know you can add this pocket or add that pocket or sherman this or whatever i'm just like it just kind of looks like tacked on and, and you know I, I just like it integrated you know so
1: I, i'm i'm with you my philosophy for packs is two twofold um one of them is my michigan hunting pack and what, what it, that does for me is because in Michigan, I'm not bone and deer out and I have my own vehicle that I can get back and forth to um, for anything I need. So and most of the time it's a morning sit or an evening sit or even an all day sit. But I, I'm not at the, the whim or mercy of vehicles um, and things like that or or time restrictions. So in Michigan that venture 2300 is perfect to carry everything i need including extra layers but i'm not packing the animals out on my back or if i Mm -hmm. am i always have a frame pack in my car so it's easy to get to but usually i use a jet sled now when i go out of state to hunt i have limited time there multiple tags to fill and often i am dropped off you know i mean if, if i'm hunting with joe and he wants to go to a different spot and his is further out he'll drop me and take my truck and i won't see him again he's dropping me off an hour and a half before daylight so i'm usually going in blind so i'm getting dropped off at five o'clock in the morning and he won't be back until an hour and a half after dark by the time he's out mm-hmm. and if he kills a an deer and he. Half hour away, it might even be longer. So I need a pack that's going to do everything for me. So I might get out there in the morning. I might kill a deer in the morning. I need to be able to bone that deer out, pack it out on my back, get it up by the road, hang the game bags up in a tree somewhere where they're going to be safe, and lock this stuff down. And then get back, you know, then re get myself, you know, re geared and re back to ready to go again. And then I climb in and go hunt somewhere else for the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Kill a deer there packing that one out pack that up to the road wait for him to come and get me so i need that pack to be able to do whatever i need because i don't have the luxury of a vehicle all the time coming to get me i might be getting dropped off where i am and then i might have to move i might be walking a mile from there just to get to another spot again because i don't have always have a car. and and joe's the same way or john you know we we drop each other whoever gets dropped off they're on their own for the whole day you know make it work you know in that pack has yeah. to accommodate me getting animals out sometimes in 80 degree weather and you can't leave them later you know mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Here I don't really run into that because I mean I don't hunt out of state. You know I'd like to, but I don't hunt out of state yet. In Minnesota, especially on public land, uh, you can't. Um, you you have to get the whole animal out of there. You can debone a deer, or you can break down a deer, quarter a deer, or whatever, but you still have to go back and get the entire carcass. So if you have to make a couple trips, that's fine. Um, so it's not like I'm getting the entire thing out all at once anyway you know regardless of what unless i have like a giant frame pack or something like that um there, there's no deboning i have to get you know bones hair hide all in you know, everything but the guts basically so for me it, it doesn't matter anyway if i wanted to you know you know take a quarter and shove it in the pack and walk out with it that's fine more than likely i'll go back i have it's not exactly a jet sled it's but it's it, it looks almost exactly like one. it's like a big you know hard uh kind of stiff plastic uh you know sled basically that i'm, I'm you know that i'm using and you know that sits in my car and i can just go back and get that and drag the whole thing out you know so i'm not I, i'm not necessarily in 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 need of um you know like a really good frame pack or, or the bag that detaches from the frame and um you know yeah, you uh, yeah I- exactly so I'm, I'm i'm good on that front for me it's more important to bring all my stuff in and have all the stuff that i need during the hunt rather than um worry about you know after the hunt because i kill so few deer anyway so um it, it's, it's mostly for, for for my comfort kind of thing so you know i uh
1: well, actually, it's going to suit you perfectly you're going to, you it's going to be your favorite backpack you've ever owned i promise you
0: and and you said i was i was rewatching your video again the other day and you you said it, it doesn't really sit much taller than than the 1850 right it's just a little bit thicker
1: uh, correct it is yes yeah, yes just a little further off from your back as far as like when it's fully expanded mm-hmm. but i mean size difference is so little bit but yet it has so much more room and the yeah. hip belt is nice like you that even you know the other problem with the the two problems with running the icon pro on a suspension system or even on a frame is the hip belt is so stiff on that one that even trying to pull it up through a pine tree mm-hmm. is near impossible Pin belt catches on everything and then you start shredding and ripping it up you know yeah. um and it's so stiff where the venture one just folds over and pulls right up through there real easy yeah. um but the other thing too is on the suspension system with the icon pro uh or actually i should say on the frame the two t or the t uh plastic t's on the back of mm-hmm. the bag uh that mount into the actual frame go into a slot on the frame and turn it, and they lock in there really good. Well, on the back of the bag, when you put the suspension system on it without a frame, they just go into these little cloth or these. They're stiffer, but they're just kind of like a cloth part. Yep, and, stiff uh, cloth. Yep. These, out of there on me all the time i go to throw this thing on my back and pop and i'd look back and now that whole that whole shoulder strap is not connected to the bag Mm -hmm. except by the load lifter and i'd have to cinch down the load lifter to get me out of there and then you got to take the whole thing apart use a a butter knife four hands three pairs of channel locks and everything i could to get it to go back in there you know
0: yeah and it's Um, tough to turn that stupid t the t lock thing uh, yeah. once it goes into that vertical slot to turn it 90 degrees, it's, it's, it's like almost impossible. it's a pain in the ass. I don't know. And, and, and it, it swivels in there. You know, you think it would be like kind of hard mounted to the back of the strap so that, you know, cause you put, you know, you, you, put the strap in and then you turn, you use the strap as like, like a T handle almost, you know, to turn the thing and then lock it in position. No, that the, the locking T in the back it turns independently of the strap. So if it pops out, you can put it back in, you know, vertically where it goes in the vertical slot, but then to not have a pop back out again you got to turn the thing you know like 90 degrees and it's and it's it's a pain in the ass to do
1: yep yeah, it sure is and it got to be pretty annoying to the point where uh joe has that bag now he took it over and what he did i before i gave it to him i gorilla glued that thing and locked it in solid and then once i put it in there i actually ran uh i put a couple of pins i actually like hot or i i sharpened a pin on my grinder a piece of wire pin and i uh like pounded it into there through, through that thing to hold it so that so now that thing can't ever come out it can never move and mm. it is that way ever. you know i permanently yeah. mounted it for him before i gave it to him and he loves it it is a great pack um but like i said i think for a day pack version if you're running to kuyu 1850 or the icon on a frame you don't ever have those problems because it's really easy to work that through the frame Mm -hmm. but if you're going to run it suspension only like i said it did perfect for me for two years and then on that third year was when that finally gave and i probably could have said it to kuyu and said hey fix this and Mm -hmm. they probably would have tightened it or replaced it or did something i'm sure i mean they build incredible stuff but for me that was kind of where i said okay when they when they came out with the uh the venture 1800 i was like well that's a nice pack but i don't want to go that small well once they announced that that 2300 venture i was like this is exactly what we need is a michigan hunting backpack and that's what i bought it for and i straight love it and yeah, my, my, talks, like you- I said,
0: mine's on the way. I just I just ordered it yesterday, so mine's on. the It should be here by the end of the week, and I can't wait. And uh, I'm guessing I'm gonna love it. And, it's, and when I do, I'll probably end up putting that 1850 up for sale as well. You know, just to recoup some of that money, because I don't need two of the same. Basically, because this is just basically, you know, a little bit bigger and uh, not as bulky of a um, uh, belt. You know, so and and I've and I've had my I've had my uh, pack for God, it's going on five years now, probably. You know, and it, and it looks great works great. You know, it's just, uh, I'm just trying to, you know, like I said, co- constant, constant, constant tweaking, you know?
1: Right. Yep. And also you mentioned compression straps on there too. I will never own a pack that does not have, I don't know why any pack maker would make a pack that does not have double compression straps to go around the bag. Yeah, I, mean, I, that's about, that's... I hang my stands on them. I hang my clothes on them. I hang. So, I mean, there's no reason to ever have a backpack that does not have that. Um, So that, in my opinion, is a good one. And another piece of advice is if you're a tree stand hunter like I am, um, there's a lot of packs out there now that have the integrated load shelf into them. Um, and, and I'm not really a huge fan of that. If you're going to put that between the stand and, or between the frame and the pack, because I want that stand and those sticks down low. Um, and if it doesn't, if it's not long enough to let you get down that stand down low enough behind your head and it's sticking up above your head, you're going to snag on everything. It's going to be brutal. You got to right. get that stand down low.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, um, one of the reasons I, uh, I also decided to, to kind of pull the trigger on the, um, on, on the 2300 there was the, the the icon pro does not have i mean it's got it's got two compression straps around the front you know and it's got it's got a couple on the bottom and stuff and i've strapped everything to all, all kinds of ways around it but the 2300 actually has like uh i'm gonna say like four sets i guess or, or yeah yes. so it, it's it's got the ones on the front you know uh, i call it the front you know the side that you look at and then it's also got the two on the side so instead of like going all the way uh like if i want to for, for example if i want to strap something now to um like let's say my tripod and like my, my tripod stool right one will go in one pocket one will go in the other pocket and then the straps kind of go all the way around and they meet you know they meet around in the front and then if i have anything like jacket or you know stand or sticks or whatever that's on the outside they all use that one hole, same like two straps on the front the 2300 has straps on the front, you know, that you can that you can do. But it also has separate straps just for like the left and right side. If you wanted to just strap, you know, something just vertically, um, like 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 you know, trekking poles or or tripod or or whatever. So that was also one of the other reasons. I'm like, okay, well, there's extra compression, and you can kind of mix and match them around too. You can make them just two, you can make them four. So I, I like I like compression straps so that that was kind of one of the other like deal uh you know uh deal, deal i guess changers for me you know
1: and at adventure 2300 the connector points for those are really solid the way they have that extra material and that grommet in there and stuff mm-hmm. and for the uh that it's just the, the the buckles on the actual bag are just so robust how they have them right there even though they're only half inch buckles or whatever they are they're not you know the full one inch they're like a three quarter inch strap mm-hmm. um, yep. I, I'm hanging my sticks and my stands on those things for miles and miles every year and they are holding up incredible but they I mean that, that, everything about that pack is straight up flawless and the price it's like two hundred bucks or something yeah um, two nineteen It is, yeah, the ultimate backpack as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, I'll never run another one. As long as they're making one, I won't even bother. As long as they got that Icon Pro, that is my ultimate go-to, what I call a day pack, a non-frame day pack. It does have internal stays, but it is technically not what I would consider a uh, haul-of-deer pack. Right, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and I have other ones for that. But for a uh, regular hunting pack, Venture 2300 all the way every time. Been using it for over a year now, and I will, I, I cannot rave enough about it. You're going to absolutely love it.
0: Good. I haven't been hawed about it. All right. I've had you on for an hour and a half. One last thing I want to talk about is is your bow setup. Now, no, no secret that you, I mean, you're you're really good friends with Steve Touré, Northern Mist. Um, and you're pretty much sold, like, this would be, like, the last bow that you're ever going to buy, or at least last, like, style of bow that you're ever going to buy. And you're shooting the classic, which is a straight handle, uh, straight limb, old-school, D-style, like, like, an American semi-longbow, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, before this, you had the Barriga, which is also a Northern Miss model. It has a little bit of a locator grip, and it's got, you know— it's got a slight reflex deflex. You really can't see it when it's strung, um, but the limb design has a little bit of reflex deflex in it. What made it? What? Because you shot the Beretta forever, and you love that bow, and then you got this one, and it's you're like you're you're raving even more about this one. So, wh- what about this style bow as far as feel goes? That's different than
1: the Beretta. I've always shot the mild R and D bows. Like you said, that's what a Baraga is or there's his superior. They're both a a mild uh, reflex, deflex, same as like, uh, you know, the Robertson bows that I shot before that stuff, Uh, or even a Reynolds number ones that I shot, they were always a very mild R and D bow and they have always been really good to me and I really liked them. Um, And then, uh, but I always, you know, I watched Steve after having me having two Baragas, knowing him for like four years um you know he shoots these classic style bows and then so did uh steve angel shoots a hill style bow and mm-hmm. i knew a lot of people that did and everybody i know that shoots one they're they're tack on they're they're spot on and accurate with them and they love them and so i thought i gotta try one so i called steve up and i had him make me a classic and uh 64 inches long now keep in mind that's because i have a short draw um, you know, I only draw 25 and a half, 26 on a good day. So I, my bow's made at 26 inches. So mm-hmm. a 64 would be perfect for me. If you got a longer draw, you're going to want longer. The longer the bow is, the more forgiving it is anyway. Right. Um, but anyway, I had him build this bow for me. And uh, same setup, same poundage, 57 pounds at my 26-inch draw, same as my bear does work. And he built that bow. And uh, when I got it, I shot some arrows through it. And immediately, the first thing I noticed was exactly what he told me would happen. And he said that there's so much forgiveness to that bow style um, that it lets you get away with a lot. Well, the first couple times I shot it was about 20 yards from my 3D target. And I would shoot. And you know how when you make a shot, as soon as you release the string and that arrow's on the way, you automatically, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that's not going to hit where I want. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and well, I would feel that way, but the arrow would still hit inside that kill zone of that 3d target and i was like hmm. wow and that kept happening and uh you know i mean i've never I, I have been shooting a classic now i think i'm going on my third year i think this was my third year yeah. shooting a shooting this style bow i think so i got my third one on order right now as a matter of fact i have two classics and i have a third one on order for, with him right now um and uh but i i i, I won't go back my accuracy because of how forgiving this is, and it lets me get away with so much bad release, so much bad stuff, uh, torque in the bowstring, you name it. It just lets me get away with so much, and it always puts that arrow right where I want it, without fail. And that's that's what I want a bow to do. You know, John just bought one. Uh, John wanted one for a long time, kept putting it off. Well, I knew John was going to the Trick cat or Kalamazoo show with me. And I called up Steve and I said, Steve, hey, you know, John's going to be at this show and he's wondering if you're going to have any uh, straight limb bows, you know, kind of thing. And he said, well, I'm building stock bows right now. What's he looking for? So I told Steve exactly what John shoots and all that stuff. Well, he happened to make one that was exactly what John would shoot. Uh, we got there, and uh, John saw it. He took it over to the range. He shot it, and he, he shot five arrows, and I said, what do you think? He's like, I think I'm going to stay here for a few minutes, and he shot about 30 arrows through that thing, came back and wrote a check right on the spot, and he's been mm. shooting it ever since, and he says the same thing. He's like, I've never shot a bow that's as forgiving as this. you know, It doesn't matter where I grab it. it. Doesn't My hand naturally falls where I want, and it puts the arrows exactly Exactly where I want them to be. And for me, I I can't ask for anything more out of a boat, you know.
0: Yeah, which, which seems I've never shot a hill style bow, and it seems odd to someone who's looking at that grip going. How I mean, there's there's no locator, there's no kind of flat palm swell, or, you know, flat palm area. There's no palm swell off the side. There's no locator grip for your thumb or anything like that. Like any, any of the things that we typically think about that would um, lock your hand in a certain way and, and make you make you grip it a certain way um, is not there on 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 a straight limb hill style bow like that. So. I guess without actually shooting one, you know, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around, like, why is it so easy to shoot, you know, um, other other than the length, obviously, you know, it's got, it's got the length, it's got, you know, nice, you know, stiff limbs, they don't have any twist in them, Um, you know, you really can't torque it, you know, that much. But as far as like how it sits in, in your, in your hand itself, uh, you you know, I I don't know, do you have any
1: insight into that? Yeah, think about a guy who, uh, let's take, for example, uh, look at a hockey player. Okay, his stick is a straight stick all the way down, little grip tape on the end. But he knows exactly where to drop that hand, up high, down low. Um, Think about a guitar player, how he knows exactly where to move that hand along that whole neck of that guitar for each spot he wants to hit. Um, It becomes second nature. And now you got to remember, you always you you know, you're going to try to choke up to the to the shelf as much as you can. So you're going to grab it the same way, whether it's located there or not, because you want to be close to the shelf but I've actually held this thing where I've had my, my hand basically off the grip and down on the fade outs, um, just to try and see, and you still cannot torque this bow. You can't get it to not shoot right. Um, and it's just so, so it doesn't matter where you grab it. It's just a straight stick, you know, just like a hockey player, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it's the same concept as the way I look at it, but I'll never, ever go back to a locator grip. I'll, I'll never go to a mild R&D bow either because of the fact that with this type of a bow, everything is 100% linear in the limb travel. The limb right. tip, is there is no reflex part that's got to unfold and no deflex part that's got to unfold. It is straight linear travel. So if I screw up the release, which my release is horrible, and if I screw up my release, which I do, like I said, most often... There is no cattywampus flight characteristics to that string because it is only being pulled in one direction from start to finish. So mm-hmm. it smooths itself out very quickly, and I don't see any of that barrel roll. I don't get any of that tail whip. I don't, I, any of my problems are that I would normally influence into that arrow are sucked up by the straight linear direction of that bow and sends that arrow right where I want it. I mean, like I said, I, I can't really put a lot more explanation into it. Um, but it just, it puts the arrows exactly where I want them. You know, I, I don't know any better way to say it. Uh, but for me, I was hooked and arrows into it and I'll never go back to, a, uh, you know, to an R and I got one, I got two of them left. I got a still got a Reynolds that, uh, You know, the first longbow I ever got, John had it made for me for helping build his house. Mm -hmm. He came over one day and gave it to me as a gift. He had it built for me by Jim Reynolds, and I'll never get rid of it. And then I have uh, one Baraga left that I'm using as a bow fishing bow. And uh, then I got my three classics. And like I said, I'll I'll never go back to uh, to anything other than a a straight limb, straight grip, hill-style bow.
0: You know, it's interesting how you how you don't realize you might be torquing something either with your hand or with your grip or whatever. When uh, I I noticed this on my on my Kodiak, right? I got a 59 Kodiak recurve. You know, skinny limbs, but um, you know, you can um, it's only like a 40 pound bow, right? So you can really like yank on this thing. So they're not that stiff anyway. You know, compared to like let's say like a 50 pound bow or whatever, right? I mean, it's just it's just a uh, Wrong term, but like flimsier limb design, a like, uh, limb, I guess, just because it's not high poundage. But I noticed like if I if I draw this and I shoot it really good, but I noticed that if I when I draw it. OK, and let's just say I'm like practice drawing in the house or something like that. And I let down. Um, I'd hear like a little bit of a snap like a little click snap, I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, at first I thought, like, you know, I damage the limb? Is it, you know, something? Well, it turns out that when I'm letting down, and I don't know whether I do this when I actually shoot the bow, you know, if, with an arrow on it, but if I draw back and then, you know, like practice and a let down, draw back, on the let down, I notice that I guess I'm not letting down in a straight line, and the snap I'm hearing is like the string snapping back into uh, the limb tip groove. There's a little bit of a groove you know, right as it's uh, settling into the recurve part, you know, to kind of yeah. help locate that string. And I never noticed cool. that, I guess I was torquing the string when I was letting it down. And again, I don't know if that if that happens when you're actually shooting it, but um, it, it's, it's quite noticeable that the string kind of comes in at a, a bit of a sideward angle and it kind of snaps back into the groove. And that's the sound I was hearing. I was I was quite amazed at that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's no, I mean, there's obviously recurves dominate the whole traditional world and they're in yeah. for good reason. They're, they're easy to shoot. They're fantastic. Um, and you know, there's been a couple people that I've, I've recommended to shoot a hill style bow and they've got them and then they've turned around and sold them. because They didn't like them. So, I mean, not everything is for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of people that love the hybrid bows. I mean, and you, you look at like, uh, you know, Java man, you know, I mean, they mm-hmm. build, you know, amazing hybrid there's so many great bows out there that you yeah. can't go wrong with them. but for for me in my shooting style and what i do um i have uh, never never had such great success in the field and on a range as i do with these uh this straight limb asl bow and there that's that's the only reason i mean if i would if i shot my bear better you know, I would have just hung this thing up on a wall. You know, that first classic, I'd have hung it up and been like, "Hey, cool, I got one mm-hmm. here. It is." Nice to have, and I'd have been okay with that. Um, but no, like I said, now, I mean, I'm I've pretty much sold all my R and D bows, and I have no interest in ever touching one again. I will always be a straight limb, straight grip kind of guy. Yeah, I really want to try a classic,
0: but I mean, I was looking at the the website there. It's like it, you know, and I draw twenty seven. And it's like a 66-inch bow. Now, I have a 64-inch uh, Omega, you know, uh, Omega original. And for me, that's even long. You know, I mean, I it, it's actually up for sale. And I love I love Kagan. Uh, you know, he makes great bows at, at a great price, you know, kind of thing. Um, you know, rabid kind of following as far as, like, being, like, a great guy to deal with. And, uh, you know, he doesn't do a lot of the high-end type stuff, you know. But, I mean, he just makes, like, really good, solid, like, hunting bows. And they shoot well. I shoot it well. But just this, the, the long... the the long 64 inch is is long for me you know um and I know you know you say you get used to it Steve Angel says you you know you get used to it I've tried um it's one of those deals where any any boat for me like over like 60 inches like a 60 inch recurve you know um to me just like I'll end up like digging the limb tips like sometimes when i'm walking through brush and stuff i'll even like dig the front lip tip in you know if my bow is kind of hanging you know in in my hand and you know your arms are kind of swinging side to side a little bit you know so like if you're holding your bow you know your the the limb tips go up and down you know i'll even sometimes dig the front limb tip into the into the dirt into the grass i'm like what the hell you know like my first day walking here or what you know so with with it with a with a 64 inch bow it's fine at the range it's fine just kind of playing around with but i just i couldn't um you know I, I couldn't get used to, to tight confines uh not even necessarily in a tree you know i'm talking even on the ground and stuff so uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm leaning i i'd love to try the classic just to say um i did and i'd love to try that you know and if i'm gonna buy it i'm gonna buy the best right so that's northern miss i'd like to i'd love to try that and i love. To, i'd love to try the Raymer, which is you know obviously supposed to be um the, the the easiest one to shoot it's it's a it's a forward handle um you know string follow bow you know about it it's it's, it's supposed to be even more forgiving than, than what you got, you know, but they, they, it's just it's just a little bit too long for me. And uh, I've, I've really been pining for uh, like a Tolkien, uh, a Tolkien Pica or Tol- Tolkien Whistler, you know, like 56 to 58 inch. Um, I'm really liking that that grip style, uh, when I look, I've never picked one up, but the grip style looks almost exactly like what I got on my, uh, on my, uh, on my bear grizzly, which it's a, it's a, it's a 1966 grizzly. And I, I've messed with the grip a little bit on that one. And that is the bow that I pick up that just kind of slots in. And I don't even have to think about, um, how I'm gripping it or, or anything like that. It just kind of naturally just fits. And I don't have to think anything else about, about it other than the shot. You know what I mean? um so I, i've been kind of saving up for that and then you know like i said and then all this like you know coronavirus catastrophe whatever you don't know what's coming down the pike i'm like eh, i don't necessarily want to spend eight nine hundred bucks on you know <laughs> might, might, might save that for uh you know a rainy day kind of thing but um yeah it, it's I just i just kind of found it you know interesting and some people just are gravitated toward a certain style of bow and they shoot that, you know, way better. it have no problems with limb clearance or any, any kind of thing. And then, you know, there's, there's others that, uh, you know, that do.
1: Well, I went from a 60 inch barraghub. Um, I went from 62 inch for my, my Reynolds and my Robertsons, all my long bows in the past were 62s. And then I went to a 60 inch for the Baragals, and then I went from a 60 inch Baraga to a 64 inch Classic, and uh, I noticed zero difference. I mean, I never it never even once did it hinder me, change anything, that I have to modify. I mean, I never even noticed it. Not in a tree, not shooting on the ground, not not anything. Really? I shoot with a pretty extreme can too. I'm at about a 45 degree angle on my bow mm-hmm. when I shoot. I I am nowhere near vertical. I mean, my bow's is a solid 45 degree angle, and yeah. uh, but I've been mean, I've never never had an issue i mean like i said i can't not one time think of anywhere where that extra four inches of bow length was mm-hmm. an issue for me um yeah yeah so i mean for me, it never it was never been a big deal whatsoever you know
0: you know one other thing um i did a video on this one other thing that i found though with uh, just a longer bows in general compared to shorter bows um it, it, I'd like I did like a two part deal on this like uh, it was like recurve versus longbow like part one part two but one of the things that came up to me that, that is undeniable is when I'm shooting down uh, at, at a downward angle, um, you know everyone says okay a longer bow is a more forgiving bow, okay that's great. And a shorter bow can be a little bit twitchier. You gotta have, have a bit better form. Okay, that's great too. But the comparison I did was with that 64 inch long bow and my uh, um, 52 inch Kodiak Magnum. And shooting, you know, downward. Okay, I found that the string angle that the longer bow makes interfered more with my um, like I, I would I would hit the string uh sooner or easier on my like let's say like my love like left side because i'm a right-handed shooter like left side uh like hip or love handle kind of thing area your thigh area sometimes because the string is is so the i guess the string angle so gentle it doesn't shoot away from you as 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 sharply as like a shorter bow does that the you, you run out of angle i run out of angle now i know you're supposed to at all times keep your upper body you know t formation configuration there, there's no way in hell that's happening, you know. I'm, I'm a realist. You know, there's there's no way I'm always always bending at, at at the waist, and I always have the same amount of clearance. But, you know, uh, it, when, when I when sh- I when I shoot that that Kodiak Magnum, because it's such a sharp string angle, um, the bottom the bottom string, you know, or the the you know the string going out toward the bottom limb, limb goes away from my body at a much faster rate. You know, it goes away more than down, whereas with the more with a longer bow that's 64 inch I find that it doesn't go away from my body as much and it actually hits if I'm kind of shooting downward and you know bending down that string will like interfere with my left side it'll actually hit my body a lot sooner you know and I guess you just kind of learn to shoot around it I mean if that's if the long like you I mean you shoot the longer bows I guess you you just learn to deal with it you know but it was one of the things that kind of stuck out to me that it's one more thing I got to think about you know
1: Right. And now I also shoot a little different, too. I shoot with a more hunched over style. I don't shoot. I don't ever stay standing straight up and down. Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, so, um, I've, I've not had a problem with it, but one thing that's very interesting, um, and Steve was the one that told me this, but if you were to take a, let's say you take a 60-inch bulb and you put it on a tillering board. Okay, you know what that is? Mm-hmm. All right. So you got that on a wall and you got marks going down that thing. And then you pull the string and it draws that string down. And uh, so when, let's say you take it down to 27 inches. If you let that string up on a 60 inch bowl up to like 26 inches, it's amazing how much those limb tips will move. And poundage will be lost in that bow and how much that will vary, where if you do that with like a 64 or 66 inch bow, the limb tips barely move when mm-hmm. you do that inch of gain or loss in uh, drawing. Right. So, um, you know, so if you're shooting at upward angles where you're drawing short or you're shooting at downward angles, not bending the right way, and you're drawing long, um, you know, any of these things, uh, where the shorter the bow is, the more variable you have in the amount of energy hitting that bow, and it ch- it's going to change your, direct- or your trajectory on there, where the longer the bow, the more, quote-unquote, forgiving of your draw length errors because of that, because of the longer length will allow those limb tips to still come back to the same kind of point. It's, it's kind of interesting. You don't have so much uh variation in limb tip location in your shot yep. process
0: yep yep i talked about that too actually i tried to i tried to illustrate that in the video um it's, it's just simple science with, with with a longer limb um the, the the if you if you were to just kind of plot the limb tip you know in space from you know from brace height to like full draw that limb tip does not uh, on a longer bow like on my 64 inch that limb tip would not would not move you know through space um, as much it wouldn't call it wouldn't go through as much of an arc as let's say my recurve does or like a, like a like a really short bow does like my 52 inch bow does um, because to get to that to get to that um, you know same draw length the shorter the shorter let's let's call it a like a lever you know the the limb it has to sweep through a longer distance because it's a lot shorter. Um, You know, almost if you were to exaggerate it and you're standing there and let's just say your upper limb tip was like 10 feet tall, you know, and you're looking at the, and you're looking at the tip of that limb tip 10 feet in the air and you draw back to your, let's say 27, 28 inch draw. I mean, you'd look up that, that limb tip would look like it barely moved, you know, versus if you had like, you know, like a two foot bow and you look at that limb tip, the limb tip would be like almost horizontal. You know what I mean? So the less, the less actual like sweep, the less actual travel that that limb has, the less chance it has to go kind of uh, off track and not go in a straight line. You know what I mean? So that's that's one of the benefits you get with when people talk about the stability of a longbow. It's not only that it's like a nice stiff, um, it, it's a thick, it's, it's, a, it's a thinner um, limb, but it's a thicker limb, um, but they also don't travel as much uh, as, as a recurve does. You know, because they tend to be longer, so uh, it's I, I love geeking out about all this stuff I, i'd I'd love to I'd love to talk to some more boyers about about that stuff if they would you know not consider giving away their you know the trade secrets kind of thing, but um it's just things that people don't think about you know um you get trade-offs like I said with the longer bow, yeah, technically, you get all the stability, but can you actually shoot it in the field and be confident in it? well for me, I don't have that confidence in it just because of the length, you know, and it's always at the back of my mind, like, where's that limb tip? Am I going to hit the ground? You know, if I'm kneeling on the ground, and I'm I'm taking, you know, shots or whatever, uh, and I'll practice like that a lot, am I going to dig that lower, you know, limb tip, you know, smack it into the dirt when I shoot, you know, it's in the back of my mind.
1: Right. Right. And yeah, see, and like I said, I shoot at a 45 degree can for that reason. I always mm-hmm. have, and I, I mean, I never worry about that stuff, but, uh, but I mean, that's the beauty of the fact that there's so many good boyers out there building right. so many different designs of bows. I mean, your recurves are, are pretty st- straightforward you got to, uh, you know, you got a one piece and you got to take down a couple variations in there. But when it comes to bows, you got R and D, you got hybrid, you got, you know, mild R and D, you got hill style, you got reverse handle, you know, I mean, there's so many different options out there for everybody that, uh, it's not hard for somebody to find exactly what works best for them.
0: Yeah, I tried that. Uh, I, I did like a really, I haven't posted this one yet, but I did a video on that. Uh, it go, you know it goes by different names, like Sino Art and Black Hunter and Galaxy Ember and all that stuff. I got that Sino Art one. I think I sent you a text about it. It was like for like 99 bucks or whatever, you know, to, just to do a test on it. And I got it. I wanted to get it in um, in 50 pound. And uh, they didn't have 50, that 45 and 55. So I got the 55 pound. Um was not impressed with it i don't know if it all comes out of the same factory and just you know one gets stamped uh galaxy and one gets stamped black hunter or whatever but it's the exact same bow and um the limbs felt a little light well they were marked um they were marked uh 50 pounds but they actually measured 45 pounds And on the box, it said like 55 pounds, you know, because I put it on a scale. I'm like, what the hell, you know, and the fit and finish was, you know, was loud and whatever. And I took a few shots. I did like a little video on it, took it apart, sent it back, you know, I'm like, eh, you know, maybe I got a bad one, but people love that bow for like an entry level, um, you know, like if I want to, if they want to get into a longbow, you know, that, that black hunter or or whatever different names it goes by, they seem to have really good luck with it. I just didn't feel like, you know, messing around with it more and kind of packed it up and sent it back. Yeah.
1: Now, I've never, I haven't had any experience with that one, but I'll tell you, I've, uh, you know, we got here at the house, I think we got four or five Samick Sages, mm-hmm. um, you know, we for, you know, my kids had them, my wife has one, we got a couple for bow fishing for guests, and yep. I'll tell you what, that uh, that Sam Sage for $139 is one hell of a little recall
0: well, Absolutely, I, mean, I had one, it. yep.
1: Yeah, that's a great bowl for the money. You can buy you can buy limbs for like forty five bucks or something or fifty bucks on Amazon for them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean that thing you know it's IFL or ILF or whatever you guys call that stuff. I'm kind of out of that world now. I don't know much about it, but yeah, it's not an
0: ILF. It it doesn't take ILF limbs, but yeah, I mean you can get different limbs, you know, Samic limbs for it, and it it fits. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I thought it was. I for some reason I thought it was whatever that is. I don't know what. Like I said, I I don't know much about how that works anymore
0: international limb fit i guess it's the way the way the limb you know one one it, it's a limb formula where like it, it's a certain size and the screw is a certain way in a certain place where you, you can see so you can take one manufacturer's limb and and put it on to another riser or what have you and the limbs are all kind of the, the mounting is all the same whereas you know let's say like a hoyt uh, like buffalo or the samick sage or you know or the columbian blacktail or whatever you know they're all um you know proprietary to that uh, you know uh Limb, limb design or, or, or mounting design kind of thing so you know and i and i always say you know when people um i i i i was a pod i was a guest on a couple different podcasts here and um you know they were we're talking about you know compound versus you know, traditional and that kind of stuff and you know I was saying look you know you can go chase the latest and greatest that's fine you can go spend your money on a fifteen hundred dollar two thousand dollar you know car you know carbon compound whatever um but you know the reality is, you know you can go to Bass Pro or Amazon or Cabela's or wherever, pay $129.99, walk out there with a Samick Sage, spend another hundred bucks in arrows and rod heads, and you can go kill anything on the planet. So anything you know under a $200 bow, all the way up, you know you're you're set. Everything on top of that is just feel and uh, you know eye candy, you know.
1: Yeah. And we beat those sages. I mean, we beat them. I mean, you have, I mean, you want to put a bow through the space and take it out mm-hmm. on an aluminum boat fishing boat. I mean, we beat these things covered in blood scales, yep. kicked around on a boat, bounced around in the waves, bounced around in aluminum. I mean, they're, you know, we beat them and they hold up so well. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. incredible boat. Hey, uh, what podcast were you on? I listened to every pretty much every single podcast you have. Oh, out Oh, I, I was, their- um, there's this
0: guy named uh, Cliff Cliff Cadet. Uh, he goes by Ur- Urban Archery NYC. Um, he uh, he recently started. He was he was a guest on mine a, wh- a while ago. He's out of uh well he's out of like uh, New York City actually he's in the heart of the city yep. you know african-american guy you know typical you know uh entry-level hunter you know ur- urban guy as far as like never been you know never been hunting never been in the woods never grew up in it and he just got this passion to to get into archery and stuff you know and uh, he, I, I started following him on instagram and um you know last year was his first year hunting he went out a few times learned a bunch of stuff and then he decided to you know start a podcast too so um i was i was i was a guest on that a couple times uh just you know talking about you know my my knowledge of, of of the two and um you know we, we got into talking about you know what gear you need and what you really need what you really don't and i said you know um you know if you want to buy you know a, a, a used compound go ahead use buy used you know 10 year old compound you know if, if you want to go buy a, a brand new one go ahead if you want to go buy samic sage you know go ahead it's people do it with with you know everything under the sun and those Sam sages too, they're kind of blocky. But when I had mine, actually, I'm like, well, you know, again, I like to tinker. So I took the limbs off. I sanded all the sharp edges because I don't really like sharp edges on anything. Um, you know, I, I sanded away the, the blockiness. I kind of rounded the edges a little bit, made the limb, uh, you know, pockets fit fit a little better. So, like, the, the wood didn't stick up past the pocket and stuff. I I stained it in, uh, like, linseed. Well, I, I can't remember, like, gunstock oil or something like that. And it ended up a pretty, pretty nice-looking, rounded, you know, a little more modernized version of a Sam sage you know the limbs still look like crap because they you know they they do but um you know i wouldn't i wouldn't discount that bow you know
1: yeah no i i I mean for entry level and when i say entry level i don't mean it as like in a bad way but i mean somebody that doesn't want to buy i mean if you're not looking for a custom bow, or you don't want to spend, I mean, even a bear bows. You know as well as I do. Even a bear bows. I don't even know what are they five, six hundred bucks for a bear bow now. Um, they're not cheap either. You know, right? Um, bear bow. I mean, bear manufacturing. You know, bear. bear
0: um, yeah, bear. Um, bear archery. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. They're not cheap. I mean, if you're, oh. but I mean, so if you're not ready to spend, drop that kind of money or, or like you said, you know, seven, 800,000 bucks on a custom bow, um, you know, I mean, that Samick Sage is, is a bow that you could buy, like you said, on anything in the world and you could do it for the rest of your life and never need another one. You know, right. it's, yeah. it's a great bow for the money. There's no doubt about it. I
0: agree. Well, all right, man, we're coming up on two hours here and, uh, it is way late for you and way late for me. You're even later than me. So, um, I guess we can wrap this up uh, just for shits and giggles. Not that anyone w- would have any, n- not have an idea where to find you. Where, where, where can everybody find you?
1: uh basically my website for for most of the stuff uh for the for the podcasts and for the courses and that kind of stuff is uh tbwpodcast.com that stands for traditional bow hunting wilderness podcast or you just google that you google traditional yeah. bow hunting wilderness podcast i will pop up and then on youtube my channel is actually called traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast and that's where all the videos are i used to try real hard to keep the videos up to date on the website too but uh this hunting season i fell behind and when me putting out two or three videos a week, and as much as I am, I now I'm I'm so far gone, and I I have like a hundred videos on YouTube that are not on the on the website, and I just don't have the time to go back right. and actually all on and catch up. So for the videos, YouTube's where it's at, you know, and it's just traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast. Anywhere you search at, you'll find me.
0: Cool. I completely forgot to talk about your courses. I'm going to talk about that real quick. You have a bow hunting whitetails course. Um, I subscribed to it or I bought the course, it's still $75, right?
1: It is, and it's not going to go up. I battled with that during the first year because there's so much content in there. Mm-hmm. When I put it out for 75 bucks, it was like six hours, and now that thing's up to, you know, I don't even know. I want to say it's probably, well, heck, even today, I spent five hours out there. Today, I recorded another six videos for it. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, I mean, you know it, there's just it's so much content. I want to say- It's, it's over
0: 30-some a- hours, isn't it? More than that?
1: It, well, it, it'll probably take you that long to go through it as you study some of the stuff where you yeah. got to stop and watch. But I mean, it's, I mean, just me in there with videos alone, it's probably pushing 16, 17 hours. And I probably got another three hours right now to put on there eventually. And I'll have another 10 hours, you know, throughout this spring scouting as we're just starting to lose the snow. Like I said, I was out making videos for it already. Uh, But the price is going to stay at 75 bucks. I don't know it, it may rise when I, I feel I need to but I'm trying real hard not to and the other course is covered enough of the cost that um, I, I don't need to put it up so right now 75 bucks gets you in there and you get access to everything in there and all of the new stuff I put in there you get that access to there's a chapter in there that says new content update and uh, every time I upload new videos I put a, a PDF file right in there that tells you a new video called so and so added to chapter 26 you know that right. kind of thing so you, you're always up to date with whatever it is, but it never ends. It's just a constantly always evolving uh, it, it, I don't think there's anything else out there like in the world. It's the most powerful whitetail hunting you know education you could ever get. I'm so proud of it. It is kind of my biggest pride and joy.
0: No, it's really good. And, you know, if, if anyone's on the fence about it, you know, you've been hunting for years or whatever that, that course will take you from, from beginners all the way to advanced stuff. I mean, there, there's something for everybody in there that you're going to find like, you know, like nuggets information or, or, you know, how to scout better or how to, you know, um, dissect a, uh, a map better or, or e-scout better, or, you know, actual, you know, boots on the ground better. There's, there's a, there's a ton of crap in there that, that, you know um i found myself uh not skipping but kind of fast forwarding through like maybe like the first eight or nine chapters kind of thing you know it's like okay i got it i got it i got it but then you know when when you get into some of the later chapters it's like okay now i'm really paying attention to the stuff you know because oh i didn't think of this or i didn't think of that so that's that's a really great one and then um uh you you have a how to save what is it how to save thousands is that what it's called yeah i call
1: it i call it the save thousands course Mm -hmm. um but yeah that one there is uh Um, If you're looking to buy anything new at a dealership, cars, trucks, snowmobiles, motorcycles, four wheelers, boats, you know, any of that stuff, campers. Anything you're gonna buy, um, it teaches you how to save tremendous amounts of money in it. I mean, it's a skill that I've I've had for a long time. Um, again, I couldn't have half the stuff that we do because we don't make enough money to to afford it, but I, I get this stuff for such deep dirt cheap prices. I mean, and I'm not talking, you know, just a, you know, a little bit off or how to talk to salesmen. I mean, that stuff's all in there, but I mean this system is uh it's it's incredible. it'll It's pure power when it comes to buying. There's no doubt about it. Um, I got guys in here. I mean, for me personally, I saved over twenty percent on my my truck, which had a sticker price of sixty six thousand yeah. um, dollars. And I, the only reason that was my worst one I've ever done. It was twenty percent, and that was because it was the blacked out night edition model. You know, and, and so we wanted a specific one, so we were limited, and there was only like seven of them within six hundred miles of us. So we were kind of bent over a little bit on that one but I still managed to get twenty percent off on that got it for you know fifty one thousand dollars out the door um and then uh but um you know I mean my renegade I saved 35 percent off of the sticker price on that car on my camper I saved 51 percent off on there you know I mean and now yeah. I got guys that are in that course and they're saving you know they're saving fifteen thousand dollars on a on a forty two thousand dollar truck I got you know i mean it's pretty neat to hear you know, from these people to get the feedback on how much it's helping them. And that course is, like I said, pure power. Um, You know, it, it's a pretty good deal. And it's only a hundred bucks right now still until I get 200 people in there. This one, unlike the, you know, the bull hunting course, everybody wants in and I get that. Um, this one, people aren't really, you know, they'll get in it when they're ready to buy something. So I think right now we're at about 90, 95 people in there. Um, once it hits 200, that price is going to double because I do not want this information available for everybody. So yeah. right now it's still 99 bucks for about another 105 people. But like I said, it's a little more of a trickle effect. I might get one one week and then not get one and then get three the next week. You know, it's kind of a little more hit or miss on it. Right. So there's some point for it. But once it hits 200 people, its price is going to double. And then once it hits uh, 300 people, it's going to go up from there as well too. And there's only going to be a limit of 500 people. All so, oh, I'm going to let in that course. After that, that's it. And I'm shutting it right down. And I mean, the people in there will still have access, but I will not take any more uh, students into it because I don't want too many people knowing this secret. It's pretty powerful.
0: Cool. All right, man. Um, two hours on the dot. I appreciate it, Jason. Why don't you stay on with me here, and I'll uh, I'll hit stop recording here. All right. That sounds good. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, like I said, I've had I wanted to have Jason on here for uh, for a long time, and the time was finally right. So I'm glad we finally got to do this. Uh, please, if you like this episode, uh, go like, share, subscribe, uh, and leave a rating. You don't have to leave a review. That's, you know, I don't care. I do care, but you know, you don't have to leave a review, but just go ahead, leave a rating. It's easy to do, especially on iTunes. It definitely gets us found and, um, check out the YouTube videos, check out Jason's, uh, YouTube, everything. Most of the stuff I learned came from Jason's, uh, stuff anyway. So go check those out and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks.